Today's show is made possible by Rourke. They've just dropped a new short film made by Harrison Roach, documenting his journey with two friends in Java on 125cc Yamahas. They find waves, they reconnect after COVID. The film is on YouTube and it's called Garden Variety, and it showcases some of Rourke's artifacts of adventure, clothing and gear that comes from real world exploration. So whether it's their campfire series, built for warm days and cold nights, or their bless-up button-downs that can be worn in the water with rubberized buttons, perforated construction made in quick-dry, moisture-wicking nylon. It's functional for the water, but stylish enough to just let air dry and then wear through the rest of the day post-surf. Rourke has got you covered. See it in action in Garden Variety, starring Harrison Roach on YouTube, and also save yourself 15% by using our promo code SPLENDOR15 on Rourke.com. SPLENDOR15. Enjoy, and of course, thank you, Rourke. And Sunbum is with us today. We talk a lot here about protection from the sun, and we actually may have unfairly vilified the sun. The truth is obvious, we need the sun. Our bodies actually produce vitamin D naturally when exposed to the sun. Vitamin D helps us build our immune systems, and sunlight is also a mood elevator. It trips the release of serotonin and endorphin hormones that are associated with happiness. So doctors even use sunshine therapy to treat depression and anxiety. It's a natural and free remedy, but all good things in moderation. 10 minutes of sun exposure two to three times a week is what the docs recommend. I like getting it as early in the day as possible, but then for the rest of the day, when the sun is at its most intense, protect yourself from burns, protect yourself from extended UV exposure. I rely on Sunbum for that. I just spent a week in Mexico. I came home without a single spot of redness, nor any change in the moles or spots on my body. And Sunbum actually makes it super simple to self-apply with everything from sprays to roll-on applicators to face sticks. I trust the bum to protect me and my family, but I really love how they've adapted and designed products for my needs, for my extended time in the water. I grew up dealing with oily, slippery sunblocks. Those days are gone. Sunbum's mineral products and the face sticks are lightweight, tacky, and migration-free. The best. So buy it from your local surf shop or visit sunbum.com and save 15% with our promo code SURFSPLENDOR. Thank you, Sunbum. Sunbum.com. Promo code SURFSPLENDOR for 15% off. Enjoy. All right. I know you've been eager to get back to Jeff Johnson. Thank you for the positive feedback from part one, where we discussed Jeff's youth and finding his way to Hawaii. Today we discuss, that was a terrible oversimplification. We discussed so much more than that, but you already know that. If you don't, go back and grab that now. Today, I'll oversimplify this as well. We discuss his career transition into becoming the first staff photographer for Patagonia, becoming the reluctant star of a feature documentary film, and then the emotional toll of being sued by one of your heroes, a legendary Hawaiian surfboard builder, over a misunderstanding. 
plus so much more, needless to say. But we enter this part of the chat discussing how Jeff developed his talent for and his style of photography. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here's part two of two of my conversation with Jeff Johnson. Yeah, so the I think um, moving in with the with Chris and the Malloy brothers was really kind of stirred up that kind of like that create the creative juices if I had any at that time. Like I was seeing what they were doing. Um, you know, they were they were at that point in the the mid '90s. Those guys were just you know full on Im- immersed in surfing. You know, uh, Keith. I think Keith finally made the tour, but they were both on the what's the, the qualifying tour, Dan and Keith. Um, so they were traveling a lot. Chris, you know, I listened to the podcast you just did with Chris, and, you know, I was there during that whole time. We were living together when he blew out his knee and kind of made a shift in his life there and started making surf movies. And so I seen what Chris is doing, and, and I think just living with those guys, and especially Chris, it just stirred something inside of me where I was like, oh, you know, I could – I, you know, and then I wrote that article and I was like, oh, maybe I have something here too that I can offer, you know, that's something that I can create, you know? And, um, so I think Chris was a big inspiration and the, the brothers, um, just living with those guys. And then, you know, surrounded by all these great photographers, you know, we, we had a house there at Rocky, Rocky Point. So it was so central, you know, you look out Rocky Rights is right there. We're kind of in front of gas chambers. You can see pipe down there. It's kind of a central zone. So all the great photographers are hanging out at the house. And, and I think my, the stuff that inspired me as a photographer, of course, surf, you know, I mean, you're just looking at magazines all the time. And, um, but I was really, as far as my own photography, I really, I was really into looking at national geographics and maybe not reading them all, but I was, I'd always thumb through national geographics I'd go down to the, you know, Patagonia had a, a store in Haleiwa back then. Oh. They, they still do, but it was like kind of a, a newish kind of store. So I'd go down there and get their catalogs. And I love the photography in those, those, those catalogs. And, and um, so I was more into kind of like more of this photojournalistic thing, you know. And, and um, I realize now what I really liked, um, now looking back, but I, I, I liked when I saw it, I didn't know what it was, but like street photography, which is these unplanned moments of people in the streets or people just doing day-to-day things. And, and I really like that. And so when I, when I got that article published, I got a camera thinking this is just another side of that storytelling. I can take photos. And when I, tra- I travel so much, I just, let's take, you know, I just want to start taking photos. And so um, Mike Balzer was a really good um, help. He just answered a lot of questions, you know, um, all the guys were so helpful of just offering me advice on what to do. And it basically came down to back then it was good lenses and good film. Cause films are like your sensor is now, you know, like cameras are all, you're just buying a sensor. So they just said the cameras do all, they all do the same thing. They just open and close the shutter. You just need really good lenses, really good film. So I got a pretty good camera and I got a really good lens and I just got professional film. And then, 
just kind of got advice from those guys how to do it, you know? And um, back then, you know, with film, it was kind of like this weird magic. It's, it was a little more difficult than it is now. And so I started taking pictures and what I was more interested in is stuff that was happening kind of around surfing or around just our lives there, not necessarily surfing. Cause I was looking at all these great photos and I was around all these great photographers and I was like, what, what am I going to add to this? You know, these guys are the best, you know, Don King and, uh, Beelman and, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the list goes on. And, and so I, I wasn't really interested in taking surf photos. And, and also, I like to surf. And that's the hardest thing about being a surf photographer is you're not surfing, you know. So, so I was kind of more into like lifestyle and kind of different things. And we, um, we were really getting into canoes in the summer, the, the Johnsons, um, Pete, Jack and Trent. And a group of us got like a, we always had canoes out there, but we had we all went in on a six man canoe and built it into like a sailing rig and, uh, in the, in the Johnson's backyard there at pipe. And, uh, that's when Jeff was still alive. Jeff Johnson, senior, obviously not me, but Jeff Johnson, senior. So their dad was just this epic character and, and he helped us build this thing into a sailing rig. And, uh, it was kind of like building a car in your living room. It's like, how do we get it off the, because we built it right in their yard, you know, and then we're like, this, this thing is huge. How we, it was really kind of hilarious how we're going to move that. But that was my first photo published in Surfer's Journal. I took a photo of that, of that in the yard. And when they, they did a, an article on Jeff Johnson Sr., they used that photo. And that was like my first photo, you know. Wow. And so we started doing these trips in that canoe where we circumnavigated the island. Wow. And, uh, and they're so fun. And, and not everybody would do the whole trip. It, you know, maybe we would take off and go to Mokalaya, spend the night. Some guys would jump out. A couple guys would jump in. Then we'd go to the west side, work our way down the west side, all the way into Honolulu. And, and uh, they were just epic because you're at one moment you're just hanging with fishermen on the west side, sleeping. And then we had a night at Duke's where we pulled in there like at 10 at night, raging, and just like raged there all night and got a hotel room. And then, let, you know, so you're seeing all these sides of the island. So I was... On those trips, I was documenting them. I was kind of pretending I was on assignment. So I was, I was writing in my journal. I brought a journal along. I brought my camera with a little dry box and I was taking pictures and I was kind of documenting them like, like I was on like a fantasy National Geographic tour or something. And I started having slideshows in our garage there. So everybody would come by, we'd have beers. And so I started doing these slideshows and we'd, everybody would heckle and and they were super fun. And that's kind of what drove me to shoot more is, is these slideshows, you know, you know, literally with the carousels, you know, how you did back in the day. And, and those were so fun to me just because uh, just getting everybody together and just being able to tell our stories, you know, of sailing around and stuff. And that's kind of what really got me into doing more of that. It was that. And then the hopes of maybe your photos turning up in a magazine here and there, you know, so I was starting to get published a little bit. And, um, and then my writing, I was doing, since that first article, I was um, really getting into writing stories. And Chris and I collaborated on a couple. We did a trip to Australia that we did this whole thing. Um, so Chris and I co-wrote a few articles for Surfers Journal during that time. So there's a, there's a stretch of like three to five years where um, I was doing a lot, like doing, you know, I think, I, like I said before, I, I think I've done like six or seven or eight 
feature articles and and that was kind of the thing. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever, you yeah. know? And again, the money wasn't, you know, when you're thinking about surf photography, especially back then, um, you know, how do you make a living at that? You know, there, if you get a cover, that's maybe 1200 bucks, but who gets the cover? And there's like, how many covers are there to get? Well, people, you know? it's worth stating too how expensive it was to develop and process mm. film back then. So you're going to spend so much money to get the cover. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's what a lot of people don't realize about photography. And to tell you the truth, a lot of photographers back in the day, a lot of them, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, you'd find out a lot of photographers were trust funders. Like they had money. Because the, the entry, like you said, was expensive. Like you, you know, you buy a roll, what was it? Um, I think processing everything like a, the roll and getting them processed was like 15 to 20 bucks and sometimes you go shoot 20 rolls of film in a day i mean that's so much money hundreds of dollars hundreds of dollars just not thousands of yeah. just a day of shooting right um it's hard for people to really understand because now you can just go shoot three thousand photos and just whatever exactly but um you're spending money and you're trying to learn so you're trying to you're shooting and some of the sometimes you're just like experimenting and like I'm going to try this exposure and you might blow like seven rolls. I mean, I you remember know? even if you're, when I was shooting automatic, yeah. you know, so I'm not even experimenting with those things. I still remember being trigger shy, calculating the cost oh, in my head. Boom. Every time you push that. Trigger, exactly. It's, yeah. So it's just like, it's, do I want to push it now? No, no, I'm going to save the, the film. You yeah. Know? yeah. So yeah, you miss a ton of opportunities. Yeah. And you, yeah, you miss a lot and, and there's, there's good and bad things about it you miss a lot, but then you're also very um, decisive about what you do too. So there's this intention to some of the photos that may, maybe lacks today, but yeah, it's, so yeah, getting into photography was a hard thing um, money wise. And when you're not making that much money yep. and then you're not getting paid that much money. And I was seeing guys like uh, Darren Crawford, who was like the best, one of the best pipe guys shooting a fisheye out there during that time. And he was living at pipe, one of the best water photographers and barely making rent. Right. You know, so, so I wasn't looking at it at all for something that would pay me money. Um, but those guys started, I started selling some photos to Patagonia and they're like, wait, what they paid you on time and they paid you how much, you know, cause the surf industry was just so horrible and those guys are barely making money. And so, yeah, I started kind of this relationship with Patagonia and, and that was, um, they, they were, it was a totally different scene outside of the, the surf world, you know, it was just. Well, had they dabbled in surfing yet? And what was your introduction to them? So they, Patagonia had been, um, they'd been running ads in the Surfer's Journal from day one. I think Surfer's Journal started in 91 or something like that, maybe 92. And. I'd been following them since then. You know, I was always intrigued by Patagonia. Yvonne Chouinard, for one, was just one of my biggest heroes. And like I and Chris would go too. We'd go down to that store in Holly even just I mean, we're not really buying much because we're we don't really need fleeces and stuff, but we were <laughs> we would go out and nerd out, you know, all the photos they had in there and just the the um just the 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 catalogs, you know, we'd always go home with the catalogs and just study those things. So um, always real fans. Um, the, uh, it's, I got to think of how that whole thing got started. Cause it's kind of a, again, long winded 
That's all right. <laughs> story, just like all my stories. It but, works for the podcast. Um, so the I remember getting involved with them. This the, this girl came over that was working with them at the time, Amy Kumler, and I met her through Chris and the brothers. And she came over and she goes, look, I, I, I'm doing some stuff for Patagonia and I need somebody to show me around. And um, this is, I just got my camera. I just started shooting. And she goes, and you can take pictures of me and I'll turn your stuff in too. And, but I need, I don't know where to go, whatever. So we hung out for about a week and traveled around taking um, photos. And they, they end up publishing one of my photos from there. And back then they did like a four year buyout for like a couple grand, which was like a big deal back then, you know, for me. And, um, that kind of started my relationship with Patagonia because the photo editor there obviously liked some of my stuff and, um, her name's James, Jane Sievert. And so she started sending me product and she was also, introduced me to the design team there and they needed feedback on their board shorts because I was literally living in board shorts. And so, so I'd get these board shorts and I'd write little write-ups, you know, they have a whole process there of uh, user testing. And, and uh, so I would fill out these things and write my comments and stuff and do my best to test these shorts. And then she would send me product and then she started paying for it. She goes, Hey, look, you, you know, here's some product to shoot. I'll pay for your processing and film for the day. Like that, that was giant, right? So she saw something in my photography and she started paying for that. And so I started kind of a relationship with, with Patagonia and which, which my friends were in the surf world were tripping on. Cause they were like, dude, I have to fight just to get paid in the surf world. Like they'll use my photo full page and I don't get paid until months afterward. But Patagonia was so, their photo department was so pro cause their whole, marketing is photos there's just so photo heavy that they had a really dialed photo department but at the for the record it was all freelance all freelance so their photo department was just uh staffed by maybe editors but not by photographers yeah got it it's all editors and um yeah exactly and is all um so every photo that they run is just (coughs) purchased they're not paying a salary to a photographer right correct no sellers. It's all, um, on spec right. basically. And, um, so there's no guarantees and she put, I mean, that's putting a lot of trust in me on a new photographer. I'm just starting out, but she's sending me product paying for my, my processing film and processing. And, and, um, you know, and then I was, I was getting like a couple surface journal ads, you know, I was, I was shooting like paddleboarding kind of more of their like waterman kind of stuff. And, uh, so I kind of had like a little, re- little relationship with them and it kind of worked with, you know, Patag- Patagonian Surface Journal. I think they were seeing some of my writing in there. So I did some of those. Uh, they used to do these notes from the field where yeah. there were these little things. So I did a couple notes from the field. Um, but yeah, but then that, I mean, I can go into the whole thing. Sure, kinda, go ahead. Um, so I, this is another string of events I got to get right. But it was an interesting time that like around 99, 2000, when I started you know, I got my first article published, starting to take photos. And Chris um, was making, you know, making a huge dent in the surf world with his films at that time. You know, he made Shelter and, um, sorry, the first one. Um, Thicker Than Water. Thicker Than Water, then he made Shelter. And, and he was, you know, along with Thomas Campbell and K- 
Kidman was kind of changing the surf industry on how films were made. And so Chris around that time was neck deep in all his stuff. And Keith moved into a house near the Chenards um, in Ventura. And he became kind of friendly with Yvonne. And so they were kind of becoming friends a little bit. Him and Dan, I think, did a climb with Yvonne back in the day. With, you know, their neighbors kind of hanging out. And this, uh, I get this call um, out of the blue. I get this call and it's, it's uh, so is this Jeff Johnson? Yeah. And he goes, Yvonne Chenard. And I was like, oh my God. Chris Malloy, like full, it didn't sound like Chris, but I'm all, Chris is like fucking with me right now. Like he's got somebody acting like Yvonne Chouinard and like, and I'm like, oh, hey, Yvonne, how are you? You know, like, who the fuck is this, you know? And he's like, well, yeah, I, uh, I'm doing a surf trip coming up and I was just wondering if you want to maybe come with us and take some photos and write a story. And I was like, holy shit, this is Yvonne Chouinard calling me, you know? And, um, it was it, I mean, weird, you know, your, your, your biggest hero, one of your biggest heroes gives you a call, you know. And um, so he wanted to do a trip down to the two Motus. Um, he's doing it with a bunch of his friends and stuff. And he just said, yeah, you want to come along and take some photos? And sure, you know, I made sure I had the time to do that. And so Chris had told me about this, uh, this pearl farm that he brought his wife Carla on when they got married, their honeymoon, they went to Tahiti, but they also went and worked on this pearl farm, which probably wasn't the coolest thing for Carla. But um, it's one of these things, I think they call it wolfing, uh, organic farms work, you work for your room and board, basically. basically. And, and so I called Yvonne, and I said, hey, want, you want to go down to this pearl farm and live on the pearl farm before we do the surf trip, just go hang out there. And he's like, yeah, I'm game. And so he and I headed off on this totally separate adventure down there and uh it was so classic he just shows up just with his duffel bag with his dive gear and just like some beat up jeans and a t-shirt and and we flew down there and we basically lived on it's called Komoko Komoka uh Pearl Farm and it's uh we just went there with the Rourke crew just recently I hadn't been there in 20 almost 20 years to the day I actually saw that on their blog yeah it's uh so this is 2003 and Yvonne and I go down there and we just really get to know each other on this trip. We're living in a plywood shack, just, just a really simple plywood shack. And we're literally going to work every day on this pearl farm. And it's hard work. You go out there and you, you're diving for pearls. You're going down, you know, it's not super deep, but maybe 20, 25 feet deep. And you're, you're grabbing strings of pearls and bringing it up to the divers on the boats. And it's hard work. And Yvonne was probably in his he had to be in his mid sixties at that point, you know, and he was tough as nails and loved it, you know? And, uh, so we kind of hit it off and that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you don't always want to meet your heroes, you know, it's more often than not, it's a letdown. And he was cooler than I thought he was going to be. He was everything that I would imagine and more, and more, you know, it was really understated. You had to dig stories out of him, and he's got the craziest stories, but he just doesn't offer them up. You got to kind of dig at him. And, um, so anyways, he, uh, we did that. And so we really got comfortable with each other. I was like, okay, we're, you know, this is, that was a cool thing that we did. Now we're, we're going to go on a surf trip. And we went, the, we went on a trip to the Northern Two Motus on a boat and uh, a bunch of his friends, it was mostly older guys. Um, and then he brought his son Fletcher with him. And me and Fletcher were probably the youngest guys there as kind of more, more of an older crew. And on that trip, 
Fletcher tells me, and I think Yvonne was sitting there too. He goes, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to launch Patagonia surf again. And, uh, I was all ears, you know, cause I've been such a fan, but I've seen it. I've been watching it for the beginning since they started putting ads in the surface journal since the early nineties. And they'd done the surf thing. They tried like three or four times and failed. And Fletcher was telling me what they're going to do. And I was like, holy shit, they're just going to fail again. Like this is, they're doing the same exact thing that they did through those other ones. And it didn't work. And, and just my opinion was like, this isn't going to work. You know, how, how was it wrong? They, you know, they've tried it before with, uh, you know, Sean Thompson was there you know, incredible. Right. Um, he finally just gave up and he put, he, you know, he tried his best and it didn't stick. Sam George was there. Um, I'm spacing on there. There's one or two other guys that came in there. Um, uh, Bob, uh, anyways. So I, I've been watching this. I've been, cause I was such a fan of Patagonia and what they're doing. Such a fan of surface journal. I just see their ads and, and I'd see every ad and to me, their ads didn't seem like they're really Patagonia. They're trying to do kind of something different, you know. And so, in my opinion, I was, they were just, I mean, basically he said, we're going to hire Tom Curran, you know. And I was thinking, well, fuck, <laughs> Tom Curran's, I mean, we all know, like, is one of the greatest surfers that's ever lived. But he's not going to, like, run your whole surf thing, right? You yeah. know, and uh, so to me, it just sounded like another Sean Thompson in there. Great person, great guy, you know, but you need a whole crew. You, you, it, it takes more of a push than just putting a guy at a desk at Patagonia, as far as I was, in my opinion. But so anyways, I listened to that and I just kind of tucked it away. But I was really intrigued by that. Like, wow, they're really going to go for it again. And man, I just don't know. Um, so Yvonne at the time saw a photo on my sh on a shirt and he goes, is that your photo? And Banana Republic ran a photo of one of my photos or whatever. And he goes, oh, that's so cool. He said, why don't you come and do that at Patagonia? You know, why don't you come do some of your photos? So, okay, so Yvonne um, made plans for me to come out there and visit Patagonia. So I, <laughs> I flew out there, got in my little van that I keep up in San Francisco, drove down there. And I parked it at Keith's house, which is like right across the street from Yvonne's house. And um, I uh, hooked up with Yvonne and, and he made the connections for me to go in there and go talk to the t-shirt guy. So I go in with Yvonne, they give me a little badge and we go up to the t-shirt guy and I'm tripping out. I'm going, what? this is so weird. Right. And, uh, but I'm at the Patagonia headquarters. How cool is that? You know, like I'm walking around in there and we sit down with the t-shirt guy and I can tell, you know, Yvonne talks to him for a while and then walks away and I can tell right away. I'm like, okay, I see what goes on here. Yvonne brings one of his friends in the guy's like, what the hell do we do with this guy? And I kind of look at him, he looks at me, and I'm, I, I'm like, I get it, you know? Because he's, he's like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, the owner of the business is like... So it was kind of awkward, and, um, but here I, I have this pass, and I'm at the headquarters, and I just walked around and just kind of hung out. And I, um, I basically slept in my van in front of Keith's house for like a week, and uh, I would have coffee, with, coffee or tea with Yvonne every morning. We, you know, they live right on the beach there. And I'd go in there and we'd just have our mornings, um, just shooting the shit, whatever, just reading magazines and talking about stuff. He just became a good friend, you know. And um, But in the day, in the middle of the day, I would go down there with my, and I'd just cruise around Patagonia and just talk to people. Because I knew, <laughs> I knew they were going to, I knew they were going to launch this thing 
and I was interested in, and I was just interested in what was going on there. Cause I'm such a fan. And now I'm like, got a pass. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm meeting these people and I don't know what they thought of me or if who is this guy, but I, I got to know who was going to be involved in this thing and who, who was what, who was who. And, um, so I started kind of formulating kind of some ideas in my head about how the Malloys could get in here and make shit happen, you know? And there'd already been something brewing already with Keith and Keith living near Yvonne and Chris. Chris had already, you know, Chris went to Antarctica and wore a bunch of Patagonia gear and he's a fan. And so there's something brewing already. And I know they did talk to Evan Slater about doing something. And so there was something kind of brewing, but um, it, it wasn't really going anywhere. So I started kind of putting this whole, I had like plan A and plan B, how I thought the Malloys in Patagonia could work. And Chris at this point was right downtown and Chris was um, just real deep in his filmmaking. He had a um, brush, what was it called? It was a Woodshed film. Oh yeah, yeah, Woodshed. Woodshed films at that point. And it was just this little house downtown. And at that time he was, he was making a broke down melody, I think. And, uh, he had a little office there and Carla was working there and stuff. And I went over there one day to talk to Chris and I go, and I told him, I go, Hey, I just been, I've been like snooping around Patagonia and hanging out there for like a week. And I just told him what's going on. Like they're going to launch this thing and I don't think it's going to work and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he, and Chris, I don't even know if Chris was thinking about it, but I go, I, I think there's something here, you know? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it'd be the perfect marriage. Like, you know, you guys, you know, you make films. You, I mean, the, the, the three brothers are like a force in the surf industry, you know, and uh, they did, you know, they've been with Bob Hurley forever. And I knew they were kind of, um, you know, Bob, I think Hurley just sold to Nike at that point. And I think the Malloys were getting a little burnout on the surf industry. And I knew they were kind of looking for something different, you know, and Chris is doing his films and, and, uh, you know, Keith and Dan had just made the tour. The, I think Keith just got on the actual tour, but then quit or got injured or something, but they're, they're traveling and stuff. But so I go, I think this could be something cool, you know, like, what do you think? You know, and Chris is like, wow, you know, you could just see his face light up with all these ideas. And I go, can I push forward on this and kind of mention it and like talk on your behalf? And Chris doesn't really like people. He's the ringleader, the brothers. He doesn't like people talking on his behalf, but he, it was cool. He was just like, yeah, I, I would be into that. That could be cool. And I go, okay, I'll just see how, I don't know. Maybe I'll mention it to somebody. So it's like the next day or the day after I'm sitting there having my morning with Yvonne and there's this guy there. And um, I was kind of mentioning things to Yvonne a little bit, like kind of my opinions about some something. Nothing important. Like he's just like, oh, what do you think about this and that or whatever? And I was just kind of voicing my opinions. And so Yvonne goes, hey, Jeff, why don't you tell this guy some of your things you've been telling me? You know, like, and I just fully unleashed on this guy. I just, <laughs> and I go, I go, uh, I go, you know, I started with the T-shirts. I go, you guys have like three T-shirts and like some brands, that's their whole thing. Like it's, it's marketing, it's sales, it's everything. And you guys have like four of them and they fit like linebacker shirts. So like this, they're short sleeves, but they go down, they don't even fit well. And it's just like, you have a couple and I go, and I go the, you know, you guys have the best brand story ever. And you just have a catalog, you know, like you guys should be doing books and, and films and you have the best athletes and you never really hear about them. You just have the, maybe a mention in the catalog. 
you have the best climbers in the world, you have the best brand story in the world, and you, you don't really see it anywhere. And then I go, and the, and the surf thing, you're just gonna, I, I, I just, I have nothing to lose, right? Of course. And I just go, you know, I don't think it's gonna work. I heard you guys are gonna launch the new surf thing, and, and it's just, you guys have failed four, three or four times, and it's not gonna work. And, and um, he's just like, well, how is it gonna work? And, and I go, well, you guys need a crew. You guys need a like-minded crew of force that can make this thing happen. You can't just hire one guy and think it's going to happen, you know? And he's like, well, who do you think could do that? You know? And I was like, there's these guys, the Malloy brothers, the local boys that live here that are, I think they're kind of burnt on what they're doing and they would be, they make films, you know, I think it'd be perfect marriage, you know, it's, and I don't even know what I said about that, but I just kind of unloaded that. And, uh, and he's like, well, what are you, what's your deal? You know, who are you? <laughs> right. You know? And I'm like, I'm a flight attendant, life, <laughs> lifeguard, you know? And uh, you could tell he's kind of tripping on me. Like, and I think Yvonne chimes in. He's like, oh, he's taking some pictures. Because at that point, I had taken, you know, some of my photographies in their catalogs and stuff. And uh, so I didn't know that this guy was the CEO I mean, he was just in like a t-shirt and flip-flops, you know, and um, I thought I didn't know who I, but Yvonne said, Hey, tell him your opinions. And I just, I just went off like, yeah. fuck it. You know, I don't care. And um, so I think that made kind of a little like stir, you know, I think he, he, after all this, he went back to office, like who are the Malloy brothers and who's this guy walking around our <laughs> offices and right. Yeah, I think he was kind of like, what is going on here? Because the surf thing's a new initiative that he's supposed to... He was a new CEO, kind of new. Got it. So anyway, it's just such a funny story looking back on it. But um, but yeah, that that kind of stirred a thing. And then the marketing department kind of got a buzz. And the, the guy, Hal Arneson, who used to run the marketing there, the VP of marketing, all that old Patagonia stuff of the baby being tossed over and stuff, that's all Hal Arneson. Like, he is, he's kind of the genius behind a lot of the early, like, 90s kind of uh, marketing. And um, so anyways, they, he came up to me when I was wandering around Patagonia. He's like, hey, would the Malloys, I heard the Malloys might be interested and would they want to talk? I'm like, so I talked to Chris. I'm like, hey, I think shit's going on. Like, I think people are fired up. And so then there was a meeting with uh, the Malloys came down and the marketing guys and Fletcher and um, Yvonne and everybody. And, and um, it was agreed on, hey, let's do this. And uh, I think the Malloys quit. You know, Chris went down to Bob Hurley's office and told him like that week or something. And um, they quit. And it was wow. like a big kind of buzz in the surf industry at the time because, you know, why would the Malloys leave this gravy train? You know, they've been with Bob since they were like 15 why would they leave the gravy train when with this like obscure like rock climbing brand in Ventura or whatever? So it was kind of a buzz. And uh, so, yeah, they they quit Hurley and then they signed on and uh, and I got on a plane, went home. <laughs> and uh, to this day, I look back and I'm, it's such a funny time. Like, I don't even know why I was motivated to do that. I was just like, this is this is such a cool brand. I I know what Chris and those guys, Chris and the Malloys do like this would be, why not? Like this would be the perfect thing. And I wanted, I, I'm such a fanboy of Patagonia. I wanted them. I want, I want to wear some Patagonia shit that I like. Like I want them to kind of come out of the gates with something new and do something cool. And so anyways, I just got on a plane, but then as I 
got home, I was like, well, that'd be fun to be involved in that, you know? And I did a flight back from Japan for my flight attendant gig. And I remember I called Chris and I was just like, dude, I just, I want to be involved. And he's like, well, dude, I, I just got there. I don't know what to do. You know, like he's like, why don't you come over? And I go, I want that to be the last flight I ever do as a flight attendant. And it was, so I got on a flight and, uh, flew over and I, uh, I wrote, I think I literally wrote the CEO, like a handwritten letter, might've typed it, but I don't know. I wrote him a letter and I just said, um, I just said, you know, it's like uh, you're. It's like almost a. Uh, it's going to be a, like a small company, and you need people that wear a lot of hats. And here's what I can do, and my photography alone will justify my salary. You know that alone. But then I'm. You're going to need a lot of help doing a lot of different things, and the Malloys need somebody they trust, and all that stuff. And he and I went for a walk, and then he hired me. Wow. Uh, they, yeah, it's so weird, right? Crazy. And. Uh, but you were living in Hawaii. I was living in Hawaii. So you had to relocate? Yeah. I had to, I quit my job, my flight attendant gig, and then, um, yeah, moved over. And, um, yeah, and I got to give Patagonia kudos for that. You know, like, I mean, that's such out-of-the-box thinking for a company for a bunch of guys like us to just roll in, you know, and... And that's why it's cool that it's a privately owned company. Yvonne's can do, I mean, the Chenards can do what they want. And Yvonne's like, yeah, let's do this. So um, it was, it was super exciting for us because, you know, the Malloys at that point had been peddling, you know, product for companies that they're definitely aligned with, but they had nothing to do with the product, you know, and suddenly we were, we had a hand in everything in the t-shirts and the actual fit of the t-shirts and the designs, you know, Chris hired, Jeff McFedrich to come in and do a bunch of stuff. And like, we had a hand in everything. Like the Dan and I were really focused on board shorts and at the sales meeting, Dan and I would be in board shorts on stage talking. We were so passionate about, and especially Dan, who's like been selling products since he's 15, but he's never had a hand in it. And now we get to work on the product and the marketing. And we were really a hundred percent behind this thing. And, I th and for those guys doing that their whole life and finally having this, it was just, it was a super exciting time for all of us, you know. It was um, fun. What, did the job have a title? My job? No. And uh, it's funny because uh, I remember there's a guy, Andy Marker, who was running pro sales or something at the time. He pulled me aside and he's like, hey, you don't have a job title, you know? And because I was doing all, I was, shooting photos tons of, and mostly cruising around with the Malloys. We were doing like projects and stuff. So I was, and I was shooting some of the other Patagonia specific stuff, but I was also doing, I mean, we were all doing, I mean, Chris had a desk there for a while. We we're all doing so much. Like we'd be working with the merchandisers one day, we'd be organizing a body surf event, you know, um, taking photo. I mean, it was like, I mean, we we're talking to designers about, you know, buttons on shirts and stuff. Like we were all doing so much. Um, yeah, it was like, it, so he's like, you don't have a title. And I was like, ah, fuck, I don't care what, what you call me. And he's like, that's going to bite you in the ass. You know, I'm like, why? And he's like, well, people need to know what you do. And I'm like, I don't care what they know. Like, you know, I don't, I didn't really, he's, he's thinking in a career, you're going to jump from here to there yeah. and another company's going to want to know what your title what was you did. while you were here. Yeah. And, and you were just thinking, I'm here, <laughs> I'm here doing this. And I don't even, what are you going to call it? Like, you know, I don't know creative where creative director. Well, Chris was probably the creative director if you're going to label somebody. But um, yeah, I, who knows? I mean, we're all doing so many different things. Yeah, it's like, I get it. 
But the interesting thing is that kind of blew me away is um, years later, I think 2009 or something, they put out a book called um, um, Unexpected, and it was 30 years of on-spec Patagonia catalog photography. Beautiful book. Um, and the, the creative director, or the, uh, this guy Vincent Stanley, total legend, um, he, I think he was creative director at the time, he came up to me and he goes, hey, he goes, and I'd been there for five years at this point, or four years or whatever, and he goes, hey, could you write a story in the new book that we're doing about being Patagonia's first st staff photographer? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was the first? And he goes, yeah. And I go, I thought there had been many. I, I just, you know, I just thought I came in at a time when there wasn't, and there had been many before me. And, and he's like, no, you're the first staff photographer. And I was like, holy shit. Like, he's like, you created that position when you got hired. Amazing. So I guess that was kind of my title eventually. And it's still a little, little like the girl, Amy Kumler, Kumler that shot with me that one time that kind of introduced me to the photo editor. I thought she was a staff photographer. But I don't know, it's a little blurry, but yeah. Anyways, um, so I guess my eventual title was staff photographer, you know. Yeah. Um, so for the listeners, edification, like you guys launched a lot of that surf stuff with a book, right? So we, we, got, we all got hired 2003, 2004, and then we started working on the line that we launched, you know, the clothing, wetsuits and stuff. Um, we were launching that in 2006. So we did, Keith and I did a road trip from, we went all the way, Keith got a um, truck that runs on vegetable oil and diesel. And so we did a trip in the, the biodiesel truck all the way up to, uh, we went to Oregon and then down to the tip of Baja and back. It was like 40 something days of travel. And, uh, and that was kind of like the story that we were going right. to launch the whole line with. And we ended up, that became a book. It was, became Patagonia's first branded book, but it was, it was like co-branded with this other person, but it, it, was, it said Patagonia Books on it. So it was kind of like, I remember talking to the creative director at the time in marketing, you know, it was like an experiment. Can we do books? And so we did that one. And then I remember him saying, okay, we can do this. And then they started a book department after that. And they've done many books now, yeah. but, um, but yeah, we launched it with like kind of that book and that Binda Baja, there was a website and this whole thing and launched that in 2006. And it was kind of a, it took a lot of work and we, it was, it was nerve wracking too. Cause I guess at that time, no brand had ever broken into the surf industry that wasn't endemic in surfing. Right. Like K2 tried it around that. Some yep. of the, I think Fox, like all yep. these things. And that's kind of what we came to Patagonia with. We're like, Hey, this is, this hasn't been done. Like, Brands haven't broken in. You guys aren't a surf brand, even though you've been making board shorts forever since like the early 90s. But like you never really busted into the surf industry. This is like and it was it was a lot of work getting the brand, getting Patagonia internally to shift, because when you walk up to a desk, it, it, this kind of blew our mind, but it's true. I'm, I'm working with a pattern maker and she's like, oh, Yvonne's friends. We've done this four times and it's failed. And rightfully so. Like, sure. there's people in there just going, we've done this. And you, and they don't want to do it again. And we knew that. And so we had to tread lightly and really massage our way in. They're like, hey, we're here. We really want to do this. And it took a while to kind of, for everybody to get on board. So a lot of our work was, like, pushing it internally to make people understand, like, what we want to do. And we had so much respect 
for the brand and the people there. And, and Patagonia doesn't change. Like they're the reason that why they're such a good brand is because they, they, they don't just jump into things like right. another bright and shiny thing. They don't just gear towards that right away. Like, so it took a big shift just to get the whole kind of machine moving in that direction. And, and, uh, and that was, I think, you know, I think Sam George called Chris and he's like, Hey man, good luck. It's, you know, it's like this, be careful. The cinchilla curtain will shut you down. That's what he called it. You know, that's funny. And because it's an internal thing, it's like, it's hard to well, get everybody. If they've tried that four times, like yeah. they're going to do it again, you know? And, and, um, but interestingly, in hindsight, like you stated, it was a catalog. They, they were this company who was making these really great products with all of these stories that would happen because of those products and those athletes, but it was all just, um, it was just one catalog. Yeah. It wasn't a large enough medium to actually showcase all that they were doing. And, and so even the product, like you'd think that all the product was in their catalog, but that wasn't it. Right. They can't fit it all in there. So exactly. you're not even seeing all their product that they make. So you know? through this new surf venture, you guys open up the door to books. You guys yeah. open up the door to films. And now yeah. Patagonia is kind of a content company in a lot of ways, yeah. generating all of these things that are a phenomenal commercial for the products that yeah, they're also totally, making. Totally. And telling the stories, of course, that go along with those athletes using those products. Yeah, yeah. So... 180 degrees south, or as you call it, 180 south. <laughs> I, it's funny that I call it that because that's not what you're supposed to call it, I guess. It's 180 degrees south. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that. Ha what was the story of that? How did that come to be? So that's a, you got time? Sure. <laughs> um, it's worth taking. Chris, it's Chris, worth taking Chris is better than, uh, Chris brushed over some of this in his, um, he's better at staying on point and stuff. I, I tend to wander, but. It's worth um, doing a deep dive into yeah. So the, the way, so that, that's, that was like from, from like talking about it to it actually happened was like 10 years, it was like a, a long time. But so again, that girl, Amy Kumler, the Malloy's and I are sharing a house in Hawaii. It's like 2000 or 99 or something like that. Um, we're, we're, I'm over here in Ventura visiting Chris and his parents and Amy Kumler, that girl that we know, she comes up to me and she hands me this uh, VHS cassette, you know, those big things. And she's like, hey, I think you guys, you got to watch this. And she goes, it's, it's been in the padding on your vault for like 30 years. You're not supposed to watch it outside the company, but I, I snuck it out of there because I think you guys would really appreciate that. Chris and I, what the hell? And we look at it and it says Mountain of Storms on it. We're like, what is this? So we go to his parents' house, plug it in the VCR. And it's his film, Mountain of Storms, and it's when Yvonne and Doug Tompkins drove a van from Ventura all the way to climb Mount Fitzroy in Patagonia in 1968. Crazy. Yeah, crazy, right? Crazy. And Chris and I, I'm getting chicken skin thinking about it right now. Chris and I are looking at this, and we're just going, whoa. And it's it's um, all filmed in 16. I mean, the doing it is crazy, but the fact that they had the foresight to make a film out of it. Yeah. So they thought now and we've learned all this later, but this Doug Tompkins thought this was going to be their endless summer. Okay. And they're like, we're going to make a killing. Like we're, you know, endless summer had come out and they, they wanted to make the climbing version of endless summer. Yeah. And Doug being the good business guy, he started North face and stuff. He was like, we learned in retrospect. He's like, this is our endless summer. We're going to make a shitload. And they made this film 
Lito Tejada Flores had never shot 16 millimeter. They gave him a Bolex and they just take off on this trip and they film the whole thing. And it's original soundtrack, cheesy stuff. Like they're driving and like the songs like driving with my friends, you know, like it's real corny. And there's spots where it says insert commercial here. And it's just blank for a while. Like it's, it's a full movie. And Chris and I are going, this has been sitting in their vault. This is their entire brand. This is, Doug Tompkins, he just sold North Face. Yvonne hasn't started Patagonia. This is the reason he started Patagonia because he went on this trip and came home and said, I got to make clothes that withstand a Patagonia winter. And he called it Patagonia. And then Doug went on to say, you know, to, to buy huge swaths of land, you know, 10, 15 years later and develop all the parks. We're like, this is like a huge, this is the beginnings to all that. We couldn't understand why is this, sitting in a vault, you know? Yeah. So Chris and I were spinning over it. We gave the film, the video cassette back to the girl, to Amy, and we're like, we're tripping on this. And so Chris had already made a few films and been doing really well with that. And I had just get, gotten into climbing and I was starting to look at all these climbing films and just seeing what's cool out there. Cause I was like, Chris, you should make a climbing film. That'd be epic. And we had already kind of talked about that. Cause I was trying to find all these, old climbing films and see what's cool and what's not. And, and Chris is, Chris isn't a real climber, but he's a, he's an enthusiast and we've always really loved that world. And we, and we were like, we saw this, and we're like, we got to make a climbing and surfing film. Cause that's what they did. They surf their way down and then they climb. And, and so we started talking about this and this is in like 2000. And we started talking about making our own film, whether it's in the spirit of them or, maybe even documenting them. We don't know, but we talked about it. And we did a dry run in, in Australia in 2001 or two where we went over there and we did the surfing climbing trip. Scott Sowens was with us. He shot it all in 16. It's still in the can. We've never seen all this footage. Wow. We shot all this footage in Mount Arapiles and down in the um, South Coast. And um, and it didn't turn into anything. We, we came back. We're like, oh, that was a fun trip. But th- we ended up doing a Surfer's Journal article first time surface journals ever put climbing and it was kind of odd. They had some climbing shots in there. And so it just turned into a fun little, little article. But, um, Chris and I always talked about that film. Like we, we just have beers and we just kind of, you know, just kind of make up stories or what we could do. And we're always looking for areas we can go that you can climb and surf and stuff. And then fast forward a couple of years, we now we're employed by Patagonia and Chris and I started talking about it again. Like, Hey, we work with these guys now. Let's, you know, we should do a film. And so Chris pushed, Chris kind of got his shit together and I kind of, um, pitched it to the whole, to the marketing team there. And they, they were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. So, um, they started down this road of, uh, making a film at Patagonia and be like, you know, the first real, we were seeing it as like the first real film that Patagonia is doing. And I mean, it's, we're talking about their, their history, you know? And so, um, Chris started, he got a crew together and it was, it was going to be climbing and surfing. We wanted to, um, either drive down in a van kind of like they did or do something similar. And where I was going to fit in, we, I wasn't quite sure. Like, they're going to have like Dean Potter. I don't know if you know climbing mm-hmm. too much, but Dean Potter and his wife at the time, Steph Davis, because they were Patagonia couple. They were going to be like the climbers. Keith would be like the surfers. 
and then they needed a partner for Keith. But I was probably going to be the person that goes in between. Like I could climb and then I can surf and I can write and I can take photos. I'd kind of be bouncing around. Maybe that would be my position in the project. But they needed somebody on the surf side. So, and Chris was getting all this pressure to put a girl in there and all this stuff, uh, a woman in there. And uh, Chris was struggling because now he had this uh, project and there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and he wanted to treat this right because we have so much respect for Doug Tompkins and Yvonne Chouinard and the history of Patagonia that we, Chris, really wanted to do it right. And um, I can tell he was, it was kind of getting out of his hands a little bit and not the way he normally makes surf films. He makes surf films with his friends that he knows and he's intimate with and he can and that's how he's always done it and now people are sending him reels and he's getting all these pressure like people are giving him videos you got to hire you know why don't you get this person and i could tell he was struggling and then um one day he came over to my house and i said how's it going with all that and he's like oh it's kind of frustrating and blah 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 i go well you'll figure it out you know and he goes well i think i did figure it out and i go what, what are you talking about and he goes well i think i found the person that we're going to bring on this. Like, he's like, I can't do this whole, like, you know, I'm interviewing people. I don't even know for this film, you know? And I go, yeah. And he goes, I think you're the guy, you're the guy. And, uh, and I was through me for loop for sure. But he's like, look, he goes, this has been your story as much as it is my story, as much as it is anybody's story. Like, this is your dream. You're, you know, Yvonne, you're friends with Yvonne and you saw the film with me this is your dream as much as it is anywhere. That's the story. You know, that's, he's like, if I'm going to tell a story there, that's the story. Yeah. You know? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, it's the actual story. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is the actual story. And I was, you know, I was a, a deer in headlights, you know? Yeah. Cause like, fuck, you know, I've never been in front of the camera like that. And, and, uh, he goes, I don't really want to do it to you. Cause he goes, things will probably be different for you. You like your, you like your private, you, you're good as you are. You don't really need, yeah. You know, but you, you'll be on the map more. You'll be in people's spheres, you know, and th he's like, I've seen it happen with my, you know, I've stressed my brother's relationships. I've stressed my friend's relationships in this. So he's like, I kind of don't want to do it to you, but just so you know that this is the story that I want to tell, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, what am I going to do? And he goes, think about it, you know? Um, and I did think, I didn't say yes. I, I thought about it cause I didn't know if I, you know, Want, really wanted to do that, be in front of the camera. And, and it's funny because um, Chris was like, I, and he goes, I don't really want like a polished person. I don't want somebody that's like, hi, I'm, I'm Jeff Johnson. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, well, I think Chris got that. <laughs> you know, I, he got what he wanted. I wasn't a polished um, character. But, um, but yeah, so it was, it, it, it shifted suddenly. And all of a sudden, that's how I got involved in that, on that side of the project because it, it wasn't supposed to be, that in the beginning it was a it was going to be a entirely different scene and then all of a sudden it shifted that film um was seen by people who weren't into surfing and weren't into climbing mm. and like so many of chris's films before that you really had to be into surfing to care about it to yeah, even, yeah, yeah, to yeah. even know how to find it yeah and i think i found that film in blockbuster what i think Seriously? i might have rented it I, so funny. Wow. And later, yeah, yeah. later I wanted to rewatch it and 
actually, maybe I rented it on Netflix when they were still sending DVDs to your house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. it was. Okay. Yeah. I know, all I know is I rented it. I never purchased it because I'd been purchasing DVDs prior, surf film DVDs. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of at the end of doing that. And um, I watched it because I knew who Chris, I knew who the Malloys were. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I watched it and I loved it, but it had so much broader appeal. It was like a documentary that yeah. was just about something that you didn't have to be into, but you could appreciate what it was because it was a really Yeah, you're not well watching it to film. see some really good surfing. I mean, you'd see Keith surfing, you'd see some good surfing, Yeah, but it wasn't a surf film at all. Like and I didn't know anything about climbing, but I could respect and appreciate the climbing aspects yeah, of it as yeah. well, you know? Yeah. And so how did that change your life? being in front of the camera and actually being exposed to people on Netflix, essentially, or <laughs> viewers who were using Netflix. Did it change your life in any way? Was there a noticeable yeah. difference? Yeah, like, uh, I mean, it, um, yeah, in a good way. Like, it, it's it's not like a, the type of movie where I got a lot of fame from at all. You know, okay. it's just a small, that, I love the way that movie turned out. Like, you know, Patagonia at the time didn't have a lot of, a big PR you know, um, department. So it wasn't like the marketing for that film was really small and it didn't really, it, it did well for what it was, you know, right. and Chris got all this pressure as he was making it. And, you know, we were down in, in this little room down in Venice. Like, I mean, I did VOs for like nine months. You wow. Know? Like, I mean, and he was getting all this pressure to get into, to these fest film festivals. And he's like, I just want to make the film and like you can do like with all the, the cooks in the kitchen, he's like, just let me make my film. You can do whatever you want, but I'm not. so he was being forced to make rough cuts for all these like, um, film festivals. And he's like, it's not even done yet. So we were being tasked with these fire drills to make like a rough cut. So we'd be making this film. And then all of a sudden we spend like a week doing VOs and stuff, making a rough cut. And it was really delaying the whole process. Cause we had 200 footage, 200 hours of footage to make an hour and a half film. And we knew the story, but there's so many stories there. Like, how do you pick a line? You know, I mean, there's entire adventures where Keith and I got lost on this river in Patagonia and like all this stuff that didn't even make it into the film. So Chris was really trying to navigate that. And then he'd get these fire drills for these film festivals. And Chris, I keep hearing him saying, he was like, I just need, I just need to make these films. I just need to make this film. And if it has legs, it'll, It'll shine, and and that's how I do it. And so, I like how that film ended, and I like how it turned out, where it's kind of, it made a splash, and then it kind of became this like under. It's almost like this underground kind of thing. Like it's not like a big blockbuster thing. It's just it is what it is. It's like this cool film. I love the history of it, and and I think what it represents is great. And as far as what it did for me, it's not like um. um I became famous or anything. I became known in certain worlds. And I, I, I've had a couple, I have some funny things like where people have come up to me like in New York a couple of times, you're that guy. And the, you know, which is just hilarious. And the funniest ones for some reason, I whole foods on the way back from LAX in line at whole foods. I've had it dozens of times. I don't know. It's, it's that type of customer it that is, goes yeah. to Whole Foods. It's exactly one time that. I was in line one time I was, or I was just paying for my stuff. And this guy's like that voice. I know that voice. And I'm like, oh, here it goes. And he's like, you're the one who yourself got you. So it's, it's not, um, it's just a little bit of recognition yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's enough and it's not too much. And it's, I think it's done well from like, you know, my, 
my photography and stuff right. where my name is out there and stuff. So it's been cool. It's, it's, um, it's been a benefit and, um, and we're really proud of that whole, we're, Chris and I are proud of it. I mean, he made, he directed this film that was a real big challenge. You know, that was a different ball game for him. You know, he had a lot of cooks in the kitchen. It just wasn't him. Yeah. He's documenting these people that he has so much respect for and he doesn't want to blow that no matter how much pressure he's getting from each side. So in the end, I think it turned out it's cool. It yeah. is. Super it's, um, and it's, yeah, it's, I like that. It's just kind of this, it disappeared for a while off Netflix. Now it's back on oh, Amazon. It? Yeah. It's Netflix was an early investor in it. There, there's a deal between Magnolia and Netflix and, it was one of their early films that they invested into like a documentary. So it lived on Netflix for a while and then it went off. And then now I think it's back on Amazon or something. Cool. But um, yeah. Well, one thing that I haven't watched that film in a while and I should, but um, I don't even know what the question would be. I just think it's so amazing that you have access. You talk about Yvonne Chouinard and we are aware of that, but Doug Tompkins is an equally as fascinating figure. Oh, and Incredible. just an insane resource. I think about yeah. the amount of time that you've gotten to spend with those guys yeah. and lessons that you have probably been able to glean from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. They totally. are fascinating figures. Fascinating. Philanthrop philanthropists, yeah. athletes, businessmen, all of it. And their stories, like, you know, I'm really fortunate to spend time with those guys, like, away from everybody, like, out... I know climbing and sleeping in tents and stuff. Cause then they really become like Doug, Doug. Um, when I first met him, when we went down there, he's real serious. And this shit that he's involved in is pretty serious business. You know, like he's had a lot of, uh, pushback from people down there. He's not, he wasn't a great communicator in the beginning. The Chileans are like, who well, the hell is this guy? For listeners who don't know the backstory, he took his proceeds from selling a clothing company. Esprit. Esprit. He started, he started Esprit with his wife and got huge and made a ton of money and took those proceeds and is buying land in Chile. In Chile, yeah. Which in Argentina. Which he's yeah. then uh, restoring, protecting, and giving back to the government for national parks. National parks. So we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Huge yeah. endeavors. Millions of acres. Millions of acres. Yeah. And so when, you know, an American, moneyed up American, is coming down and buying that much land, people were very suspect. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's all these rumors. There's, you know the rumors were st so strange to what people thought he was doing, you know, CIA. Um, I think there's even some Nazi stuff in there. There's some weird shit, but he wasn't a good, he wasn't telling people really what he was doing. So of course people are just going to assume things, but he got better um, later in his life, um, you know, being a better communicator with that. But yeah, I mean, the stuff that he's done down there, it's, it's, it's unprecedented, you know, and, and, really walking the walk like i'm going to do this and, and really putting his hard-earned money into that and there's a lot of stuff that those guys do that you don't hear about too like yvonne and his wife melinda do stuff that they, they have their things that they do with their patagonia money but then there's also these things they do with their own money and one time when i was working for patagonia i was out in the water surfing really small sunset one day surfing longboards and somebody said you know i've been gone for a while and somebody's like oh where have you been i go oh, i work with patagonia and and this guy who was spearfishing came up local guy and he's like what you work for patagonia and i was like oh fuck you know like and it's this local guy you know and he's like and he put out his hand he's like hey 
I want to, sh- he's all, give Ivan a big handshake for me. He's like, for what he's done for us on Molokai. And I'm like, what did he do on Molokai? And so he, there's this one area in uh, Halava, is it Halava Valley? Where they're going to build, I'm, I probably, I could be botching this, but this is kind of the gist of it. They wanted to build a Hilton there. And he bought a pretty big sl- um, swath of land there amongst some other people that would inhibit them from building the, the hotel and he gave it to the Hawaiians. And this is something that Yvonne and Melinda just do with their, on their, and you know, they don't talk about it. There's a lot of stuff like that that is mind-blowing, you know, that you, you hang with those guys and you're like, oh, we know about this, but there's all this other stuff that they do too. But um, the benefit of hanging out with them too and getting Doug out of his zone where he's real all about business and he's really serious and then seeing those guys climb together and sleep in tents and talk shit. And, you know, they're like an old married couple just talking shit on each other. You know, it was classic. And, um, yeah, I was really fortunate to spend time with those guys in that area where it all began. I know. For them, you know, 40 years prior, you know. It was... Uh, it's so admirable. Chris and I just pinched ourselves. Like, that, that whole project, um, it was really the ultimate for me. I can't speak for Chris. Um, I know it was a big deal for Chris, but for me specifically, it was like it involves everything I like to do: <laughs> surfing, climbing. My biggest heroes. We worked with all of our friends. You know, all of our friends. You know, you know. We hired Scott Sowens, Dave Holmesy, Danny Motor, Jimmy Chin came down and and shot some of the climbing stuff. Half the crew were like really close friends, like, and Chris and I are like best friends, like, and we made this thing. It was like, it was an amazing thing, just just to do in our lives. So like that that point, you know, I remember Chris and I, um, we got to drive after it was all done. I'd been gone six months, and we finished finally finished filming this thing. And Chris and I were driving on dirt roads for I think we drove for two days to from deep Patagonia on dirt roads and there's an old truck in there an old Chevy that we rented and um, <laughs> we don't even smoke cigarettes but we got cigarettes and a 12 pack and we're like on these dirt roads for like two days just and we're just talking stories just like man that was a great six month journey we were just on you know and, and uh, yeah. we hadn't even started editing yet you know yeah and an amazing but, um, piece of art to have to show for it for yeah, posterity's sake yeah it was a yeah, um, cool time Considering this ongoing conversation with Jeff about living an active lifestyle, now would be the perfect time to remind you about AG1. Drinkag1.com surf. Over the past decade, rather than introduce new products, AG1 has instead kept one product and adapted it and improved their formula 52 times and counting, each time incorporating the latest scientific research and higher quality ingredients. They are focused on one thing, and that's why AG1 remains the best product in its class. Obviously, we all have biological individuality, but all humans are reliant on the same nutrient foundation to nourish the systems that power their health. AG1 is a scoop of green powder delivered to your door monthly. You mix it with eight ounces of water, and that's it. It's a science-driven blend of vitamins, probiotics, and whole foods sourced nutrients. It delivers nourishment for the brain, gut, and immune systems. I've been on it for two years, and I cannot imagine my life without it. So do your own research on drinkag1.com surf. 
see the raw facts, see what the experts are saying, and also see why we love using it in our household. Using our unique slash surf portal supports us, and it also helps us continue to share this simple solution for modern life. So go to drinkag1.com slash surf. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. But I do want to get back to your writing because mm-hmm. we want to talk about the Al Chapman article that you wrote for the Surfer oh, Journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I read it for the first time just this past week um, and I thought it was a phenomenal article. <laughs> like a really, it's a small story, but it's yeah. super relatable. It's how it was you ordering a board from Al Chapman. Yeah. Um, and I was unaware, but apparently there was a lawsuit that took place because of that article. Yeah. What can you tell yeah. me about it? <laughs> uh, man, it was such, I almost don't want to talk about it. It was such a, uh, like, I think I have a little PTSD from being in court, but, um, yeah, so that was around 2000, early two thousands and surfers journal got a hold of me and they said, Hey, we, you, we're looking for a story. You know, we want, somebody to write a story on Al Chapman. And I said, well, I don't think I'm, I'm the guy to give you the definitive story of Al Chapman, you know? Yeah. And they go, no, we just want like an updated portrait of who he is, you know? And um, do you got any stories? And I was like, oh, let me kind of work on some. So I had all these notes and things that I drew fr- from and, and I wrote a story about him and it's just ordering a board from Al and, uh, and what I went through ordering that board and a 10 single fin for Waimea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ordered a 10 single fin. Yeah. And, uh, so I wrote that thing and I was, I was motivated in ways that the, like, I, I think Al represents an era that was slow, like quickly fading at that time on the North shore. Like this is like early two thousands. And why I was interested in it is like what Al represents and how fastly that was fading. And so, you know, his generation of like the surfer shapers, that wild west kind of atmosphere of the North Shore. And, and the, my friends and I from California that were lifeguards and surfers and spending time on the North Shore, all through the 90s, we were going home to our homes in California and seeing them change every six months. 
And we were always blown away that the North Shore just stayed static. We're like, this is like, like even when there's not waves, there's beautiful beaches here and there's no one around. Like summertime on the North Shore in the 90s was literally, almost literally a ghost town. Like there's no one around. And, and we were always, being from California, we were always like, this is impressive because we know what's happening back at our homes. But things started rapidly, this is just my opinion, but things started rapidly changing in the early 2000s. The North Shore started getting gentrified and there's a, a handful of things that aided to that, in my opinion, like, you know, 9-11 happened. Um, people start, stopped traveling and they started going to Hawaii and then trickling over into the North Shore. There's Blue Crush, which changed the North Shore overnight. There is, uh, you know, Baywatch was being filmed. All of a sudden, Hollywood was there. Uh, Brian Grazer, the director, producer, bought a house there. Things were kind of changing. And there's like a new surfer on the North Shore, like the this guy... The archetypical new surfer was like, he's got, he just buys a house on the North Shore, tears down the shack, builds a mansion in his garage or golf clubs, a jet ski and a towing board, you know, yeah. like it was a new surfer. And uh, so I was kind of seeing this happen in my eye um, really quickly on the North Shore. And to me, Al represented this, this North Shore that I had in my mind Um he represented a time that was slowly fading. So, and I, and the guy is like incredible shaper, prolific. Like he's been shaping, like he's, he's stood the generations from probably in the North Shore. I could, I might want to say early sixties, but mo probably late sixties, all through the seventies, ripping big waves, shaping really good boards, still does. And so I wrote this story about him and, um, from what I heard, I heard he liked it from Jeff Bushman. I guess Jeff told me, he goes, yeah, I talked to Al. Al saw the story. And so you wrote it and then it got published before he ever saw it? Or did yeah. you? Okay, got yeah. it. So the first time he saw it, it was in print. It was in print. Okay. And I don't know if this is true, but Jeff Bushman told me, he said, because uh, I think Jeff asked me, Al mentioned um, he wanted to get more copies or something like that. And so I heard he liked it, right? I don't know if that's true or not. But um, but anyways, um. Yeah, it, and then uh, year, years later, I get subpoenaed, and, and um, we're in court, and, and Owl is suing the Surface Journal and myself, um, defamation of character lawsuit. You know? What? And, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, and it was such a bummer. Um, the uh, And I don't even know how much I, I should go into it, because I... I like, I, I think Al doesn't realize the respect I have for him. I think he just somehow switched that he... I don't know. He didn't like the article or whatever, but, um, what, but yeah, we, in what way did he feel defamed? Um, did he say? He just said it, it wasn't favorable. It was, it was, um, I think in his eyes, it was a little bit, um, there's things in there that weren't true. I'm not really sure. I, I mean, it was all in court, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's, we, you know, we were in a federal court for like eight days, eight or nine days with a what? jury trial. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a, a really like, uh, to see it all go down was really, I mean, I didn't sleep for like a whole week. It was just, and it, I didn't like seeing, I didn't like the fact that we were in court. Like, I mean, here, this is Al Chapman, like, you know, you don't get the police involved, you know, you don't get the courts involved. And, but he would, Al was all time, dude. He was such a, le <laughs> I mean, when we were in court, I was like, this is why I wrote the article on the guy. Look at him. He's so legendary. Like he was, he didn't give a shit. 
You know, he was saying stuff that was like so awesome in court. Probably not beneficial for his case, though. I don't know. I, I mean, they, they, we, we were proved not guilty. Oh, you know? okay. Um, defamation of character um, cases are really hard to win. Um, it was such a big case at that time that my, my friend's wife is an attorney and she goes, you're on that case. We're all watching it. Really? Because it's been the first defamation of, of character cases in like 35 years. And they don't happen much because it's when, when something happens like that, it's not, you don't have to prove that the article ruined you. You have to prove that we set out to ruin you. Oh, I see. And it's really hard to prove. I mean, there's a case right now that was going on with, um, a defamation character case um, with uh, um, Fox News and the whole the the polls. Oh, that's right. And um, they settled out of out of court yeah, eventually. Yeah. But um, they're they're it's a hard thing to prove. So Al had had to prove that we went out of our way to ruin him, mm. which we didn't. We obviously didn't. So, so were you being held liable, or was it the Surfers Journal that was being held? Surfers liable? Journal was under their umbrella. Got under, it. Fortunately. So so um, I will, but they had to spend a bunch of money to fight the case, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So I'll explain to the listeners what I think the only defamation could be. And then you can either say, yes, that was probably yeah, yeah. what it is, or maybe you don't have to say anything at all. But ultimately the story is about you ordering a board from him and you pay him and in advance, which mm -hmm. you were reticent I, to do. I, I paid him partially in advance. Like right. I paid him for the blank or... And, Partially, yeah. So you paid for, you actually brought the blank from Clark Foam and then yep. brought it to him and then paid him partially for him doing his work and, yep. you know, in advance. But it, it explicitly state in the article that, man, you never pay a shaper in advance <laughs> because shapers are notoriously late on delivering the, the yep. surfboard, you know? And ultimately, he was late on delivering the surfboard. And yep. then eventually, long after you had probably given up on ever receiving the board, you run into him and he goes, Hey, your board's ready. Yeah. So you go and pick up the board, Jack Reeves, famous Jack Reeves laminates the board. So you go and pick it up and, uh, it wasn't what you had anticipated. Yeah. The rail, the edge of the rail was hard for too far up. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the back yeah. of the board, the bottom of the yeah. board. And so you ask him to redo the work. And ultimately I think he does redo the work. Uh, I, I forget how that goes. I, I'd have to read the article again, but I think he yeah. redoes it, but it's not, it's still not to your preference, but it was, yeah, it wasn't glassed yet. I think I saw the rails oh, or okay. something. And he, and he, I, I could be wrong. I have to read the article again, but I think he did take the rails down a little bit. Um, but yeah, then the final glassed finished product wasn't exactly what I wanted. Right. And but it, but it was to his spec and he's the legend. So he's you take legend, what you yeah. can get. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the tone of the article, which by the way is exactly like, any story of anybody who's ever ordered a surfboard from a shaper. And that's why I wanted to write about it because it, it's not just Al Chapman. It's that's how shapers and surfers work. Like that's how it's been working forever. Like I remember the first board I ordered when I got to the North shore, the Willis brothers. I don't know if you, yeah. but the, the two, they're twins, the two Willis brothers. And that's how shapers did it. I remember I ordered a, I ordered like a, a seven, four or whatever. And then I showed up and it's like a seven ten, And I'm like, I ordered a seven four. And he's like, no, you need a seven ten, And you're like, all right, like right. that's just how it works. And I, and that's why I wanted to write that article. Cause this was the epitome of how it, totally. th this is the shirt surfer shaper relationship and it's all time. And like now it's like, I fucking should have rode that board. I was probably right. 
He's like, he's like, of course. Because when I said the rails are too hard, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? He's like, you'll be, he goes, you'll be doing bottom turns from sunset all the way to Holly Eva, man. And he probably was right. And I, you know, I didn't, I, uh, my friend Edis at Glass, I ended up giving it to Edis, but, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, and and I'm, I'm bummed that went to court. Um, It's just a a shitty experience. And I, I, I don't have any grudges against Al at all. And And even in the article, there was no grudge. There was no, uh, it wasn't as if you were writing it saying, this guy took my money or writing it and saying, this guy delivered shoddy work. Neither of those things were stated nor implied. What it, it was a reflection of, is my board done yet? Yeah, the yeah, most yeah. common saying of ordering a surfboard. You <laughs> That's, it I mean? happens all the time. It right? happens all. There's stickers yeah. made. There's T-shirts made. Yeah, and so that's all that it was. And I'm I'm flabbergasted after reading it that it would have ended up in court. Yeah, because it was there bizarre. was no there was no defamation in my in my mind. So I'm glad that the court sided with you. And and I wanted to, I wanted to like um, Al is like a uh, his whole thing is being authentic. He's a no bullshit guy. It's like I didn't want to sugarcoat anything for him. Like I I thought if I sugarcoated anything, it'd be a disservice to yeah. him. So I I told the story exactly how it was, and I didn't hold anything back. And I thought I would think he would appreciate that. And so I don't know. It was a bizarre thing, and it was a horrible thing to go through. Like court. I mean, just like sitting on the on the um, the stand for and being. It's just like the movies. I mean, they, they try to trip you up. They, I was on the stand for eight hours one Crazy, day. Crazy, like, dude. It, it, and so was he. And it was, I don't think it was a good experience for Al either. It was just a, it's a sh- going to court's shitty, you know? And um, Well, the reason I want, one of the things I wanted to ask you about it was, um, does it dissuade you from making art? Well, the funny thing, <laughs> the fu- not funny, um, during it, like now I wish I took notes the whole time because it was such a, bizarre experience and and but here i was getting sued for something i wrote i wasn't in the mood for writing and i kind of like it kind of dampened my my desire to write you know like i still to this day i mean i i i do i don't promote myself as a writer but i'll take on some writing projects you know but um but yeah it kind of like turned me off of writing a little bit what a shame and um but there's there's yeah it's a yeah, I wish I took more notes and stuff because there was some interesting stuff that happened. I mean, it's yeah. such a good... St- if that was a good story about Al, the story of being in a courtroom with Al would have been a phenomenal story. The courtroom just made him much more of a legend. Like, I was like, I was watching it go down just because he really is a legend, man. Like, he's he's still on the North Shore and he's he's still shaping beautiful boards. I think he's still surfing. He broke his hip or his leg. I think he broke his leg a few years ago, but... um. But yeah, he's just, he's, he's, yeah. And, and what he represents is that, that, uh, wild west, uh, you know, the, he represents an era, like he's kind of the epitome of that awesome era of the seventies, you know, and, and he, he was surfing big waves from like late sixties all the way to pretty recently, you know, it's like, well, the other great thing about him and what he represents is, um, he's making boards for a certain style of wave, the way that they should be ridden. Yeah. And a lot of other shapers 
John John comes and surfs totally differently. And so then they go, oh, I'm going to update my designs to accommodate yeah. this modern style of surfing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owl's like, hell no. I don't give a crap what John John's doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just making boards this way still yeah. to this day. Still to this day. And, they, and there's there's guys riding them and ripping them. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? It's I mean, the only way you can get that style of, or to do that style of surfing is to get the board from him. From him for those waves. Yeah. You know, he's been doing it for... For decades, and yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. Um, but the idea, it's funny that, or it's not funny, but it's sad that it would uh, deter you from making the art. And it makes me think about modern culture, how somebody writes a tweet, and then they get off, they put tweet before they fly to New York, <laughs> yeah. then they land in New York, and their life is ruined. They All got canceled. Yeah, 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 they lost their job, you know, and yeah. because they got canceled by the internet mob. Yeah. And it's an, it's an, it's a shame because, um, it's, it's hard a, to come back. It, you, you should be able to come back, apologize, you know, whatever you got to do to and people make mistakes. You know, yeah. you're always going to fuck up. Like, but the, but the reality is the mob was wrong. This person made, oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. the person made a fleeting tweet. Maybe they didn't even really feel that way or maybe they did, but the woke culture, the tone of the culture will shift down the road yeah. and this will look like a big mistake in this one moment, to, yeah. you know? And so the idea that the art is actually meaningful and that it can be, the production of it can be stopped yeah, because yeah. somebody got upset at a given time is unfortunate. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like your art um, probably will have a lot more lasting effect than the way that Owl felt about it in that moment that he made that decision. Mm. And Maybe so it's yeah. unfortunate that your art will no longer, or that you're at least dampened in it for a period of time. Yeah. I mean, I've, it's not like I haven't written since then. I've definitely written, you know, we did a book for 180 South and that was like a coffee table book. Where, I mean, I still write. Yeah. Um, but I think during, I, I wasn't, I wasn't down for taking notes and writing in my little journal during that time. I was just like, oh fuck, this sucks, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah. I, I kind of want to hear about what surf media you follow and what your current view on surfing is who's surfing are you excited to watch at this point yeah, or document yeah. or work with or any of it um it's funny uh, there's i this the surf media thing i was just talking to chris malloy about that i think it's a conversation that a lot of people are having like the um it's i i miss those days and i never you never want to be the guy going oh those were the days you know because there's so many great things that are happening now. I mean, the surfing level is so high and filmmaking is so good. And, but like when, you know, in, in my time when I was surfing a ton in the nineties and early two thousands, like you saw all the surf movies that came out, you saw all of them. There's like six of them, whatever, you know? And most of them are really good. Some of them weren't, but like you, you, you're like, they come out, you see them and you've seen it all. And then you look at the magazines or whatever. And now it's, it's hard because I, I follow a lot of surfers. I follow a lot of skaters, um, a lot of surfers. Um, but you, it's like you're not even, you don't even know what you're looking at after a while. Like I might even put out something. I'm like, hey, did you see that film I made? And they're like, yeah, I did. And I'm like, what did you see? And they're like, I saw this. I'm like, no, you saw the previews to it. Right. You know, because you're just like, you know, you're, and a lot of time when you're, when you're going through things, you're like in line somewhere and you, you don't have time to go. Totally. And how are you going to remember to, oh, yeah, I got to go home and then watch that and watch the full thing. But mm -hmm. you're just clicking through. So, like, um, I miss no, I miss seeing the entirety of people's work because you're you, you just 
we're just inundated as everybody knows on Instagram and you're just like looking through stuff. So um, half the time, I don't even know, like some, you know how it is. You'll call somebody by their name, but it's their fucking Instagram name. You're not even totally. calling it because that's all you see. Right. So it's been a while since I've seen a whole surf movie. I don't know when the last one is that I've seen. Um, but there's definitely surfers that I like, you know, like I love um, Mason Ho. Yeah. I think I think there's a there's these three that I think a lot of people are really into. Like there's Mason Ho. There's. Um, oh, I'm just drawing a blank. Needs Essentials guy. Oh, yeah. Torn Martin. Torn Martin. And I think that the whole Torn Martin phenomenon is, is interesting because I think he not single handedly, but he has such. You can almost blame him for everybody riding twin fins right now. Mm -hmm. It's because of him. And what he does is he's drawing these simple lines. Like what he's doing is is poetry in a way that it's so stripped down that the way he tricks you is that you think you can surf like that. Totally. And that's why he's so likable because you're like, you think you can do this. So you watch it, but you're like, wait a minute. He's, he's traveling around the world. He's getting the best waves of the best days of the year. And he's a really phenomenal surfer. He's just not doing 360 airs. He just gets really good lines and gets really pitted. And it's really hard what he's doing to, to pare it down that simply and not spaz out. But it's so fun to watch. And, and you can identify with it, too, more than any other surfer. Because if you're just like normal dudes like you and I, you're like, that's what I want to do. I want to mm -hmm. just get pitted. And um, so you buy a twin fin, you try to run like Torn Martin, but you won't, you know? Good point. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I watch a, I watch Idolo surf, Idolo Ferreira, and I'm like, can't relate to it at all. Yeah, it's phenomenal, but it's like, you, it's you, different than what I'm doing. To, hundred like, percent. Yeah. It's not even close, right? No. It's like this whole. But Torin, I'm like, I'm almost there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. You think you're there? Yeah. We all think we're almost there. Right? It's a, but it, I don't know if you remember this. He used to ride pointy thrusters and do 360 years. Well, I mean, everybody, right? Like, like Joel Tudor, like he used to ride. I'm, I think he started on shortboards, and then I mean, if you see stuff of Joel, like before he became Joel, he was riding thruster high performance longboards and trying floaters and shit. You know, he was he was not the Joel Tudor that you yeah. know. You know, like everybody, you know, we all start yeah. somewhere. You know, but um, but yeah, and then John John, of course, um. It's, you know, just kind of the main, I think so many people will like those three, you know, like Mason, of course, Mason is just such a cool kid. I know. I mean, you just got to love that kid. You know, one of the, um, did you ever hear the podcast that he did with Aki? No, <laughs> the Aki cast one. I forget what, yeah. My, it's like just, when Aki was hosting. Yeah. It's like yeah, him yeah, and yeah. Aki. Yeah. It's like the funniest thing, man. Like they, you just got to listen to it, but, um, yeah, you got to find it, listen to it. But, uh. He's just a, just such a rad kid and just such a big heart and, uh, and he's just making it fun. You know, mm -hmm. he's just having so much fun out there and he's a phenomenally talented, talented surfer can ride anything. Like he's, he's a good guy to watch. There's a lot, there's a, and I'm, I'm ashamed that I don't know their names, but there's a few female surfers that I follow that are, I mean, there's Steph Gilmore, stuff like that, but there's like a couple that I'm so out of it that I, I don't even know. I mean, they're in my feed and I see them all the time, but they're young young girls, Australians, like just getting, just surfing so well, like incredibly well. The, the, the women's level of surfing has just gotten, it's just, I mean, it's almost on par with the guys in some points, you know, yeah. it's just, it's so cool. But, um, but yeah, surf media, it's, it's hard. I, I wish, 
I wish somebody just like would send me some DVDs of all the latest surf movies, you know, because it's so. But would you sit down and watch them? Do you spend ninety minutes sitting and watching a I, surf film anymore? It's it's tough now. I got two kids and a and a you know right. I'm busy, but uh, you, you're right. I I would find time to if if somebody gave me like five of them, I'd I narrow it down to one or two, and I'd find time. You know, yeah. like I'm just now starting to watch the Jerry Lopez film. Oh yeah, you know. Um, I can't believe it's taken me this long, but yeah, I started watching that the other day. It's so I am involved with the Florida surf film festival. And uh-huh. so I get access to all of these, oh, that, yeah, yeah. that film specifically before it came out and everything else. And, um, I have the best of intentions to watch all of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like excited when I get the <laughs> spreadsheet, I'm like, sweet. And then a week or two goes by and I haven't yeah. watched one of them. Yeah, and yeah, I've, yeah. I found in the last couple of years, I have to allocate, purposeful time yeah. to sit and watch because life just moves too quickly now. Yeah. And if I do sit down at the end of a day, by the way, an end of a day where all I've done is talk about surfing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The last thing you want to, yeah, you want to, yeah, yeah. I sit down and I'm like, I'd rather watch Ozark on Netflix. Yeah. Right yeah. 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 hundred oh, percent. Yeah. And so yeah. I have to, ju- and then I go, okay, well that film, now I need to put it in my daytime. That's now work. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't stack that in as leisure time anymore. That needs to be part of my workload. Yeah. Because it is, to yeah. be honest. It's your work. Yeah, it's become. But don't you think some of it has to do, well, you're quite a bit younger than me, but our age and where we're at in life. If we were 23. Yeah, maybe. And just like surfing, we would have time to sit down. But maybe not. I don't know if I don't, If there's a 20, maybe 23-year-old kids right now are like, oh, I don't have time to. They're, they're just scrubbing through Instagram going, that's cool. Maybe they don't have time to watch. Uh, that's what I thought um, about those film. kids yeah. <laughs> is that they have limited time or limited uh, attention spans yeah. because of Instagram. But then vlogs started happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, yeah. kids are now, they want the 30-minute Nathan Florence vlog more than the 12-minute yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. So they've, yeah. they've changed, you know, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's Nathan's somebody I watch all the time. Nathan's, it's great to, to see those. Like, we... we Got to see all those kids grow up. You know, I remember when I, I knew Alex when um, she was pregnant with John John. You no know? way. So like seeing all those boys. Yeah, I, I got, I have really old, when I first started taking photos, I got a bunch of like um, photos of the boys and stuff. But it's just so cool seeing those guys and how they're just good dudes. Yeah. You know, they're they're not only just insane rippers, but they're just good dudes. You know? Yeah. They didn't lose the plot. and Just so easy to do with all that pressure, you know? Totally. And uh If Jeff's stories of world exploration are inspiring you to book your next trip, then let me remind you about waterwaystravel.com. They've been developing and delivering world-class surf trips for 29 years. In fact, they've organized many of the trips that you've probably informed your understanding of the surf world upon. From magazine trips back in the 90s, brand photo shoots, right through to organizing pro surf trips for surf films that you grew up loving, Waterways has perfected the art of scoring almost anywhere in the world. They'll get you to Mexico, Indo, South Africa, the Telos Islands, Central America, and they'll do it at any level of luxury. From humble shared rooms to charter yachts, Waterways provides a comprehensive concierge surf travel experience. They'll save you time, money, and the anxiety associated with travel. So look no further. They are our friends, and they are great partners for our listeners. Waterwaystravel.com. 
and realwatersports.com. I have two quick notes here. Scott Bass and I are booked and confirmed. We will be at Real Water Sports in the Outer Banks of North Carolina for one week in the middle of July. And we're actually hosting a meetup at the Waterman's Bar and Grill on Wednesday the 19th from 6 to 8 p.m. So Wednesday, July 19th. So if you're anywhere nearby, please come hang out. It's super informal, but we're going to already be there. And we'd love to just connect with anyone who listens to the show and has these shared interests. Plus, we just love the Outer Banks. So we're looking forward to being there in general, but connecting with you would be an added bonus. The second note here is also a little bit time sensitive. This morning, one hour ago, Brett Barley just dropped off 26 trade-ins used super brand surfboards. They're starting at $150, believe it or not. And I know Brett Barley's boards might be too small for most of our listeners, too high performance, too chippy, but Real Water Sports has an entire section of used gear. So you can find crazy deals like that on all sorts of stuff. They have a kite gear section, they have a foil gear section. So if you've been looking to get into foiling and the investment in it has been a speed bump, this is a great time to kind of hurdle that. Pick up a starter rig for 70% cheaper than you would pay for it new. So go check it all out right now. It's on realwatersports.com. Navigate down to the used gear sales section and get yourself the deal of a lifetime. realwatersports.com. Um, how did you connect with Rourke and what was the reason for leaving Patagonia? And yeah. How did that transition happen? The... um. Patagonia was I was there for 13 years or so and it was just time to time to move on I got to a point where I was getting a lot of interest from for doing more work and I wasn't being fulfilled there and I I don't think they could afford what I thought I was worth either so um, there was a point where they were allowing me to do work with other brands as long as I didn't work for like North Face or something like that and um because I remember talking to the creative director. I was like, hey, I can't really do this. I'm having a kid soon. I'm not making enough money. And he's like, well, what, what, we'll let you work for other brands and then, you know, do projects here and stuff. And we did that for a while. And then it just kind of was time to go. And so, um, and it's been great. Like the freelance thing, it's, 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 as you know, it's like scary. Like when does the phone stop ringing? You're always, you know, um, but it's so fun because now I, I learned so much of Patagonia and, and I've, been taking photos and doing this thing for so long now I get to work with all these different brands and I get to work with all these different people which is the best and uh yeah so it's been really fun like it's just and and different types of brands you know because like like Yeti's one of my main clients I've been doing stuff for like electric vehicles uh, Rivian you know it's like there's so many different types of brands that I'm working with it's just it's just exciting it's not like one thing all the time you know and is that work all photography? Photography. Um, some of it I'll, uh, I'll direct. I've, I've uh, directed small films, small commercials and stuff like that. So I do do a little bit of directing, but the majority of it's film. I mean, photos. Yeah. And a little bit of writing here and there. Um, and then the Rourke thing. So uh, Ryan, the guys that started it, I was really good friends with all those guys. I met, um, I met John Rose through the Malloys a long time ago. John Rose would hang out at our house and he and I became really tight and I would hang in Laguna and I met all his friends, um, through, through John, I met all his Laguna guys. And so Ryan Hitzel is the, the founder, the owner, um, 
I've been friends with him since like, I don't know, 20 plus years. Wow. And so he started, he actually started that with John Rose. It was like John Rose, Ryan Hitzel, and then Ryan, Ryan Sirianni is another guy. And then John kind of went his other way, his own way. And then, um, so it's just been the two Ryans and I've known them for a long time, but haven't been involved. We've always talked about doing stuff. And then, um, when was it 2018 or something? They were like, Hey, won't you, you know, let's, let's start doing stuff. So I just been on their program for God, five years now. And, wow. and, um, it's been so fun. Was, I call it uh, Patagonia for bad boys kind of thing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you because know, it's a little it's a little edgier, you know, and they're not as big as Patagonia. So Rourke can um, they have a lot of leeway of what they yeah. can do, and and our trips, it's I mean it, I know it's not uncomplicated, but it seems such like a their their marketing the way they get their marketing is not that complicated. It's uh they do these big trips where we get all of the shit, and then that's what they use for. I mean it's it's branched off into running the run amok thing and stuff. But all the content comes from these epic trips that we go on. And it all comes from Ryan, who um, grew up traveling, and he wanted to have a brand based around travel. And even the logo is, a, um, you know, hobos used to have their sign their signs, and, and the logo is what they would put on a fence post or whatever, saying they're cool for bums here. And uh, that they changed it a little bit, but that's their logo. It's like sign yeah. language for, for bums. But, um, yeah, so... The trips are legit. We go to these far off, far flung places and just kind of rage, you know, with snowboards and a little bit of climbing and surfing and right. Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of do everything on these trips. Ride motorcycles. I got back into riding motorcycles. You know, I used to ride as a kid, and so we try to mix it all up. And uh, yeah, super fun. And I I just can't. It's just funny that, that I'm. The, the the world is so different now that I'm like 54 and I have like a, I guess a quote sponsor, you know, yeah. like it's so weird. Right. Um, that I just don't even, I'm like, really, you still want me to go on these trips, huh? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel, um, talking about working freelance and worried that the phone's not going to ring. Do you feel comfortable that your career path is laid out at this point? I, I think it's like, uh, I don't know. Like, cause <laughs> I, I have no idea. You know, that's the whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, n I never sit, I never, I never sit back and go, yeah, I got it. Okay. Never. So there's anxiety. Ne there's some anxiety, but it, I've learned to control the anxiety, but it's like, I also don't think that's a good thing to, you, you should never be like, yeah, I got it. Yeah. You know, like I it's agree. a hustle. Like it's, I have great clients, like uh, dream clients, like the people I work with are kind of like who I want to work with. And, um, but who knows? I don't know when it disappears. It's like, that's the whole freelance stuff. It could just stop tomorrow. And you, yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, and so you, you just, it's a hustle and you just got to stay on it and just work really hard. Like every trip you work your ass off, yeah. you know? And it's, it's, a uh, yeah, there, there is that thing where, you know, I was even listening to, uh, God, this fame, he's a, he writes, uh, he's written tons of screenplays and movies and stuff. And, prolific and he has the same i mean this guy is like the most dialed writer in hollywood and he's like yeah i just when that phone stops ringing fuck what am i gonna do? and you're like he even has that you know so it's just part of the, the so, thing and i think it's good it keeps you on your toes yeah. like you can never you shouldn't ever sit back and just think you got it dialed you yeah. know you got it you got to treat every project like this is this is it you know is there um, um outside of taking kind of freelance work are there any creative projects that you have 
uh, that you want to execute? Yeah, you know, it's funny, like the, I was even talking to Chris about it a little bit the other day, like when 180 South happened, um, I always get like, what's next? What are you going to yeah. do next? And that was such a big chunk of my life and Chris's life and everybody else that worked on it that I wasn't, I did, I did have that in mind. Like, oh, maybe I'll go out on my own and do some stuff. And I have, I've directed some things, but not, nothing really big. And, um, it's, I, I kind of, I, I've had some of, some of these dreams over the years of certain things I want to document, but then it's funny. It's kind of like, you know, when you did surf movies, there's six that came out and, you know, like, so you take this dream project, you put your life into it, you work on it for years and you put it out there and it's just like, oh, I think I saw it. Was that it? Right. You know, like, and not that you, that's the only reason you should do stuff is for, to get that, but that's kind of why you're doing it. So people will watch it. Right. You know? And so I think if, I think if this, if the climate was a little different, like I just feel funny pouring my life into something that, you know, I've, I see these great films come out, insane films. And like, where did it go? Like what happened? You know, like it's, so that shouldn't deter me, but it kind of has, you know, a little bit. So I have kind of these smaller projects that I've been picking away at it, you know, cause like the, I do have a side of my photography and my creative outlet. That's not this outdoorsy kind of like thing. It's a little, you know, I come from like long skating background. And so there's, there's some things that I've been kind of plugging away at that hope to come to fruition in the next couple of years or something, you know, like, well, one did couple two years ago maybe is that uh my yeah my skateboard book yeah way high kick turn yeah way high kick turn. <laughs> what is it and where is it available um it's available online so my that's my latest book um it's called way high kick turn plugging it again <laughs> um it's a it's available on um beyond and back press.com or you can just google way high kick turn um it'll come up yeah, it's for sale on that site. And uh, that was just a passion project that started another 10-year project. It started in 2007, and I finally put it out there in 2018. Oh, okay. So it was it was something I did late at night, early in the morning, on my own time. Um, it just started with a, it was a before Facebook, 2000, before social media was even a thing. I got this email in like 2007. And it was a, a video, I think it was a YouTube, first time I'd been on YouTube, is a link to YouTube and is all of us skating a pool in 1987. Wow. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, that was 20 years ago. Like I never knew, I never thought of having something 20 years ago. I suddenly felt old, you know, because it was 2007. So on the CC list were like 20 guys, 15 to 20 guys that I hadn't seen. Some of them I haven't seen since that pool session and, 2007 and everybody started chiming in and scanning their old photos and you know it's not facebook it's just an email chain and i was just pulling these photos off into a folder i think i labeled it way high kick turn because that way high kick turns a zine that my friends had a skate zine back in the 80s but i was pulling these photos into this folder and the the emails were absurd like i'd get up from my desk go to the bathroom come back there'd be 30 emails with photos i mean guys were just scanning them and talking and, you know, riffing on each other and making fun of each other. And, and so a few months later, I had like probably three or 400 photos in this folder 
And uh, I, I would look through them thinking, God, this, there's something here because it's really a document of the era. You know, it's, it's a, um, an era that's kind of celebrated now. Like mm-hmm. the, this time in skating, it wasn't, I mean, it was, this is like the underdog underground era of the skating in the early 80s. It was all fell apart and it was kind of like dark time of skating. But um, it's being celebrated now. And so anyways, I, I kept that little folder and I'd go through it. But then when I started thinking about it as a book, I had to find who all these photos were and that email chain was gone. So I don't know whose these photos were and they're all low-res scans. So I spent the next 10 years... Find, you know, finding these guys, you know, it'd be it'd literally be like a day like today. I'd get somebody on the phone. I was like, Hey, is that photo yours of the blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you home right now? And I fucking get in my car, drive up to drive six hours up to San Francisco, go through shoe boxes till one in the morning, go sleep in my van and drive back. So I did that for years just to get all the, the originals. And um, then just kind of, you know, cobbled it into a book and finally, wow. finally released it. Yeah. It was Incredible. Just, it took forever. Wow. forever but um, um it, it was really stoked to get that out and we had a, a couple book signings at the the rourke stores and the one in berkeley oh that's where i grew up is that area and yeah some of the skate shots are from berkeley and and uh all all the guys showed up all the boys sweet everybody showed up so it was like this big reunion and wow that was worth it alone right yeah there, for sure um, um i want to ask you a couple of questions about health and wellness you're super fit I, <laughs> I think it's safe to say. <laughs> well, let's go back to what you did on your 50th birthday. And that oh, I think right. paints, yeah, yeah, paints yeah. the picture. For well, I didn't people. pull it off, but I was close. You got yeah. darn close. Yeah. Um, what about, what do you do in terms of diet and exercise? And in terms of diet, are there things specifically that you avoid? And what does your diet look like? You know, it's funny. My wife gets on me about this. My diet got worse when I moved to California and like got worse as I got older and that's because <laughs> when I lived in Hawaii, there's the North Shore is like, it's like uh, just existing on the North Shore. Like I remember a friend came and visited me and and uh, one day I'm like, hey, let's go surf. He's like, dude, I can't. I'm fucking, I'm, I'm sore. And I go from surfing. He goes, no, walking that soft sand. My legs are hurting. Just wa-. I'm like walking. Like just everyday life in Hawaii and on the North Shore, it just keeps you fit, you know? And there's always a reminder to not drink too much, to not eat mm-hmm. too much, because you're confronted by it every day. You're going out on big surf. So over, like when I lived in Hawaii, my diet was a lot more strict. You know, I didn't eat meat for a long time, for like 10 years. I was like, a, no, I'm sorry, I didn't eat red meat. I don't know why I was on that kick. But anyways, I was I was eating healthier there than I was here. And I think here... I'm not surfing as much. Santa Barbara is a really hard place to stay on the ball surfing because there's hardly waves here. It doesn't break that often. So there's not anything reminding me on a day-to-day basis. So my diet kind of got worse yeah. as I got older. Not junk food, but, you know, a pound a bag of chips or you know, I got a cr- couple croissants over there and stuff. But um, so my diet has my diet's OK. I don't eat a lot of junk, but it's not the best. But um, but I do. I like I run. I climb on the, any spare time I have. I try to surf if I can. I run as much as I can just because it's easy. And then um, I think that's it, climbing, running, surfing. Um, and then in the last, like, uh, few months, I've just really zeroed in on my diet. Like, I, we were in New Zealand for four months traveling around because um, my wife is from New Zealand, so we are seeing family. And I made a policy over there. I'm not going to say no to anything. And anytime somebody's like, well, you want a beer? You want a glass of wine? Would you like an ice cream? I was just like, I got fat. I came back with like the fattest I've ever been. 
So uh, now my diet's probably the best it's been right now. Was it hard to get rid of it? No, not that hard. I mean, I, uh, I stopped drinking. Um, like, you know, one or two beers a night will put a layer on you, you know. So um, I, I still will have a beer here and there, but it's not like on a day-to-day basis. So cut that out. I was eating, I did like that kind of almost all protein diet for like maybe two weeks and just started running and stuff and kind of got it back. But, but yeah, so now I think it's like, I did the opposite. Like when you're young, you could probably just eat Cheetos and go surf all day and you're fine. But I was like really fit and really conscious of my diet then when I should have been the opposite. I should have been like really on my diet when I got older. Yeah. And, um, but I think. I just haven't had to pay for it yet and I don't want to pay for it. So Good. like now I'm, I'm wrapping it up and Good. It a seems, more conscious. It seems like throughout your life, you've always maintained a lot of discipline with work mm. ethic and everything. And yeah. And that comes from my, um, I, I, my dad uh, had a construction business. So I was like, I was doing kind of like hard labor as a kid. Okay. And, um, and um, had a really good, my dad really wanted to teach me the um, 40 hour work week and yeah. what it means to work. And uh, it kind of backfired on him because I did that real. I mean, I worked every summer, 40 hours. I worked like full-time jobs every summer. And I was like, I don't want to fucking do that my whole life, you know? And that's why I became a flight attendant and right. lifeguard. I wanted to do jobs that were, that I had time to do stuff. I didn't want to work nine to five, right. you know? And um. But he, but within that is a really strong work, work ethic. Like I didn't want to go nine to five my entire life, but when I work, I work my ass off, you know, and you know, I'll work all night. Like yeah. I, I have a strong work ethic, but I like to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, well, like and that's also project oriented kind of thing. That's also what I'm talking about is yeah, the work you're still getting the work done, but also the things that you're doing when you're not doing the quote work are still disciplined. You're exercising, you're running, you have projects that you're committed to that you're seeing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not yeah. just lounging around doing nothing, you know? No, 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 no. So, um, whose surfboards are you riding nowadays? Um, I ride, so my shortboards, Pizel's. Oh, really? Yeah, Pizel's an old friend of mine. And um, I I was just, at, we're, we're going to house sit for them this summer. And I was just there on our way back. We, we hung out at the Pizel's and. He, I was kind of thinking, I just did a trip with Rourke to uh, Tuomotu's and I was riding a Paisel Astro Pop and the waves were pumping and I, I was like, okay, I'm flailing. Like I was surfing so shitty and uh, I think I was riding too small of a board and I start, so I started kind of riding this bigger one and just taking straight lines and trying to get barreled. I'm like, and so I left that trip going, I think I'm done shortboarding. Like, cause I think the thing about surfing and getting older, if you still do it and just maintain it, you can do it really well into your late years. But like myself, I've taken big gaps where I haven't. Like living in Santa Barbara, like I'll go for three months here without surfing. In Hawaii, if you go a week without surfing, you're like, what is wrong right. with me? Like it feels like an eternity. But so I have these big gaps where I haven't surfed. So my surfing's really gone downhill. Whereas if I was always surfing, it'd probably still be fine. So sure. I came out of that trip thinking, yeah, I'm done with shortboards. Because I around here I ride fish. Yeah. Fishes and longboards mostly. And, um, but I, Paisel had this new shape. I wish I knew what it's called, but, it, um, it was like way too small for me as a five, six. And we we're right there at Rocky point. And I had one of the best surfs. This was like just this spring. 
And because um, he made this, you know, you know, Pizel came up with that wide point. I, I'm sure it's Pizel that did that with John John. He's the one, I think, and I'm not just blowing smoke up Pizel's ass, but that that wide point forward beak nose. I obviously Pizel didn't invent that, but on, on a pointy thruster. On a pointy yeah. thruster, I can almost attribute him to doing that. I'm sure there's guys that are doing that, but like he put John John on that and like what John John was doing a Margaret river and stuff. I think it had to do with that kind of wide point forward thing. Anyways, he had this little thing that's like wider throughout real curved rails and wide point forward, but five, six. And the thing was so good that I was like, Oh, maybe I do still have a little bit of shortboarding <laughs> in me, you know? Um, was it red tiger? There was like a red tiger and a white tiger board that he released uh, recently. I don't know if this one's out yet. I haven't looked at them too closely, but they yeah. sound similar to that. Yeah, it's it was a it was a twin fin oh. setup, but it was two plus one. He had a bunch of he's still developing it. I think. Okay, so it was yeah, like, maybe not. But I think I was riding a twin fin with a little center fin, tiny center fin. I'm not sure what it is, but it, whatever it. it was, he was like, because he, he was like, you got to try this thing. This is things kind of magic because he knows I like like flatter boards and like a little wider and stuff. And so anyways. A lot of my like high performance shortboards are all Pizels, and then um, I ride uh, Christiansens. I have a few Christiansens. Um, I ride. Um, I've been riding those uh, those Mega. Do you know the Mega Fishes and Mini Mega Fishes yeah. by Kyle? Yeah. Um, Deepest Reaches. Yep. So I uh, I ride. I have a, um, an eight six. That kind of takes place of a longboard. It's like mm -hmm. a it's a twin fin, so it's a longboard you can kind of rip. And I just got 11.0, like a glider from those guys. Um, so I ride, that's kind of around here. I'll ride those twin, those big mega twins, or I'll ride a fish. I got a Christensen fish. Um, I've, been, I've been kind of buying boards. Um, my preferred thing is buying boards off the shelf. Really? 100%. Like, it's interesting listening to uh, your interview with Kidman the other day. Um, because I've known him from a long time ago. He's he hung out at our house a little bit on the North Shore and love that guy. He's and Litmus, his film Litmus is like if anybody's out there that hasn't seen Litmus, you have to see Litmus. It's one of the greatest surf films ever. But you guys were talking about hand shapes and and the computer and all that. And and it's funny these days with people that are new in the surf thing, they're like, Oh, you know, I paid extra and I got this custom hand shaped. I'm like, you got a custom what? And they're like, I got a custom hand shape from so-and-so. I'm like, so you probably didn't get what you really wanted? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, the, the way I look at surfboards is like, if you're not working with a shaper on a design, you know, like a specific thing where you're like, you're writing it, you're bringing it back, you're like, hey, it worked, but this happened, blah, blah, blah. A custom one-off does nothing for you. Buy what's in the shop. Buy what you put on your arm. Like, so now, since I'm not like actively working with a, yeah. like I used to work with, not that I was a great surfer, but they are friends of mine. Like I, when Pizel first started out, I was getting boards from him and then Bushman because he, you know, learned under Bushman. I used to get Bushmans. And there's a relationship there. You're like, hey, this worked, but, you know. And now I just go into a shop and, like, you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah. And with the computer, they can duplicate that. Yep. And I'm totally into hand-shaped boards. But as a consumer, a hand-shaped board, in my opinion, is only good if you're working with somebody on it. A one-off hand shape, that's the beginning right. of a long process with that shaper. So like, so now I try like mollusk. Uh, we got a mollusk shop here. I went in there and bought a fish 
the other day before the trip to New Zealand. I just walked in there. I'm like, yeah, this feels right. And it's killer. Nice. You know, it's just a shop board. So, yeah, yeah I kind of. That makes um, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I have all appreciation for handshakes. Of course. 100%, yeah. you know, but the computer, there's something good about the computer and like, you know, but, and shop boards. Right. Like, I mean, it's a computer shape that they worked on and, yeah, you know, they totally. So, um, you've been everywhere. <laughs> is there anywhere in the world that uh, <clears throat> is still on your hit list? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just in Scott. I just did a trip to Scotland with Yeti and, um, phenomenal trip up in the Hebride islands up uh, the Northwest of Scotland. Insane up there. But one of the places on my list and it's been on my list for probably 25, 30 years now is Ireland. And we were, I, we sailed, we sailed from uh, Whitehaven um, outside of Manchester. We sailed on a boat all the way up to the Hebrides and we're in between Scotland and Ireland. I was like, that's Ireland over there. And I've never been to Ireland. And, and um, some of those guys that we have a group of friends that used to stay with us on the North shore from Ireland, they're always like, come over, you know, back in the nineties. And I still have never gone there. So Ireland's uh, high on my list for sure. Um, Egypt, I want to go to Egypt, see the pyramids. Um, there's a there's a handful of spots, yeah, on the list for sure. Not all surf trips though. I mean, Egypt, mm. yeah, no surf surfing trip, Egypt. Right? Um, so. Yeah, there's there's some surf there's some surf trips I, I still want to do for sure. Does your wife have the same travel bug? She's got the travel bug for sure. Good. She's she wants to. You know, we just went to New Zealand for four months. We did like a three month road trip in a little car with two kids. It was it was insane, and uh, we were homeschooling our little girl when we were there. And, and my wife just you know when we came back, she was like, "Let's stop in Hawaii." Like she didn't want it to end. You know, wow. she could okay, go forever. Good. You know, good. Yeah, she's a traveler. Get she's the kids good. used to it early and often. And they're good travelers. They're just we were in a car like bouncing around Airbnbs for like three months, and they're just like kicking it sweet know? yeah they're good it's whatever they get i mean if you're introducing it that young then yeah yeah they'll be good with it yeah and yeah. what an amazing gift for them to be able to see the world that way yeah i mean adler's already been to like france and you know been to hawaii a ton and you know so yeah we want to give that to the kids and um it's just so good to to be moving around it's i have a i was just talking to my wife about it recently i i there is a side of me that you know, as you see, you just had a kid and, and you're with your lady and you guys, you've got to figure things out. What are you going to do? And there's a part of me where I'm like, you know, I haven't settled anywhere. <laughs> you know, like the North Shore is probably the longest place I've ever lived up until recently. No, I haven't been in Santa Barbara that long. And I really admire people that have locked into a place and stayed. And I really haven't had that. My wife either. She left New Zealand when she's young. She's lived in Japan. She's lived in New York. She's lived in Australia it's like we both kind of bounced around and there's a part of me that wants to give our kids like a solid base yeah. you know but then my wife was saying the other day she's like well we're kind of not giving them that we're going to get we're probably going to give them the opposite and is that such a bad thing no you I know? think I think the solid base is your family the family can be yeah. anywhere and as long as they have the anchor of that sense of security yeah yeah that's all they need doesn't have to be a home. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, the truth is this is an incredible home that you're in. And if you can maintain this and travel around the world, kind of, that'd be amazing yeah, too. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. they don't need four walls. They need the love and support of parents. Yeah, that's a really you know? good point. Yeah. 
So I think I'm just projecting my own thing because sometimes I admire that. Like, ah, it'd be great to be really connected to one spot, you know? Yeah. But um, it's just not how it worked with me, you know? Yeah. <coughs> well, this has been a far-ranging conversation. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> for my long, long-winded stories. Um, I'm pretty notorious for these long-winded stories. Dude, but, um, it's gold for the podcast. <laughs> we can cut it into two episodes. But yeah, yeah thank classic. you for doing it. And thanks for having me at your house, too. This is incredible. Oh, thanks. This is a thanks. gift. I, I have that uh, Surf Shacks book. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd yeah. seen the house, and I was, like, excited to actually come see it in person. It's amazing. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, we, um, we put a lot into this, and... Yeah, it's uh it's quiet and it's it's like a it's it's a little little cabin in the mountains, but it, you're in Santa Barbara, you know. It's kind of feels like you're somewhere else, huh? It's unbelievable. And it's colder up here. Like this, I mean, it's summertime right now. It's like freezing out. Yeah, you know, like, I brought a jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for um, doing this. It's I, I've I've been a fan. Of, you know, we were just talking earlier, like. I've seen, I've, I've listened to so many of your podcasts. It's great to, I'm honored to be on one of them. I appreciate that. We've DM'd in the past. Yeah. yeah I remember it's been years s- ago, I think. You said that you, you go, yeah, it'd be great to reconnect with Jeff. I'm all reconnect. And I was like, oh yeah, there was a DM there w- at one point. Long time ago. Though. Yeah, I forget years what ago. it was. I don't remember. Either. I think I did one. Sp- I, I remember doing a real spazzy thing one time when I was driving to L.A., I just drank a shitload of coffee and I was listening to uh coke. Have you heard of cocaine and rhinestones? Yeah, I love it. So oh my good. Gosh, right? It's so good. And there's something that you and Chaz were talking about Chaz Smith on the grit or something. And I did one of those knee jerk, like it was talking about country music and I was like, Oh, and I think I DM'd you guys like some spazzy, like you got to check out cocaine and rhinestones. Oh, or really? Something like that. Maybe yeah. you introduced it to me then. I maybe I I did it was one of those things I didn't get a reply and I'm like oh yeah that was a weird spaz I just did dude you know? I don't have the time to reply I feel so bad oh dude you gotta shut those you gotta shut those things down like they they'll take up your I know at a certain point you have to just not like I'm sure you get so many DMs a day you gotta just the problem is too it it then dissuades me from even posting so like I'll publish an episode like with yeah. Kidman last week I don't I'd never advertised it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I knew if I if I post, then people comment, and I feel obligated to comment back. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then they DM, and if I reply, then they reply again. Oh, so so it just—it's this never-ending thing. You'll never so get off your phone. Instead, I go. You know what? Forget it. I'm just not going to post. And oh, then, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a kind of a shame, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't figured out how to manage the workload yet or the time required. Yeah, it's a lot of time. But I did when I did get that DM from you. I was. Um, flattered because i had followed your work for so long and i was like oh sick he listens sweet and that's a little yeah, feather in my cool. cap you know cool yeah so, yeah no i've i've listened to a ton of them yeah thanks yeah. thank you cool man thanks yep JeffJohnsonStories.com is where you can see much of Jeff's work. BeyondAndBackPress.com is where you can purchase Way High Kick Turn, the coffee table book, which is totally underpriced at $45. That is a no-brainer. And of course, on Instagram at JeffJohnson underscore BeyondAndBack. Man, what a pleasure it was spending a day with Jeff at his home. 
And what a joy to be able to share this with you. If you enjoy my work, find 463 past episodes of it on surfsplendorpodcast.com and hundreds of other episodes of various shows that I produce and co-host. Next month marks my 10-year anniversary of doing this. So there's lots of archival content for you to delve into. All of that work has been a real joy and privilege for me to uh, produce. So thank you very much. I look forward to 10 more years of growth, development, and days like this spent with people I admire like Jeff Johnson. So thank you all. And also thank you to the loyal brands who support our work. Rourke, Sunbum, AG1, Waterways, Real Water Sports were all with us today. Listeners should be reminded that supporting them supports us. And we only partner with people who we love working with and whose products we use. So we figure this is a win-win-win. We're able to run our business with like-minded brands. And then we're also proud to recommend to you, the listeners, these kind of best-in-class products and services. So thank you all. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. But until then, I'm reminding you, take some time, get back into the water, share some waves, and as always, shred on.